This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Craig. <laughs> who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Joe, stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. I'm Rich Craig alongside, as always, very good family man and a man who has achieved godlike status, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's happening? A clunky. Yeah, that's that's your new little. Well, so you, you did that in the uh, the the Wednesday roundup, and I uh, I admit I do not know what the reference is there or oh, what really? language you're speaking of either. So, not a Star Wars guy, huh? Oh, I am a Star Wars guy. Is that from what 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 part of? Oh well, we've got breaking news here for Craig. The uh, you're aware of the Disney Plus? Coach. I am. Yeah, I do not have the Disney Plus, but uh, I am aware of it. So, yeah, they uh, they had a big security breach with this already. The <laughs> Jesus, that's not good. That's a bad start. Did you see that? I didn't. That's a ominous start. All the initial subscribers like had their were having their uh, credit card information oh, uh, sold Perfect. on the well, dark I, web. I guess that was a good thing. I waited then. So, yeah, um, that has nothing to do with McClunky. It was a. Uh, you know the the, the, the high, we we've talked about this scene before Han Solo and Greedo right yes Who yeah, shot yeah, first. yeah yeah well they've changed that scene again oh god now. really <laughs> yeah what is it now like just delete it at this point just delete the scene like what what could they possibly have changed now well right before Greedo shoots he goes McClunky and nobody knows why <laughs> what I'm not making that up you can look that up I swear to God why would he say that nobody knows. Interesting. What a what a what a bizarre. Are there theories out there about it now, or have well, people done like deep dives and like you know like, dug into the language of 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 this particular species or whatever to see if that's possibly like what the hell? It's so weird. They just added an additional piece of <laughs> shit talking dialogue from Greedo. That shit has changed like five times at this point now, right? Because because I remember I so I, honestly my first experiences of Star Wars were the re-releases they did in the 90s, where they put them back into theaters or whatever. And that's really where I, I first... I mean, I had probably seen you know a few of them prior, but that's my buddies, and I really went and saw every single one in theaters and really consumed it. And like, I remember at the time like not knowing that that scene had been changed and, and, and going back and you know many years later finding out that that scene had been changed. And then I think they changed it again when they released it on DVD, and then again another time later down the line when they released it on Blu-ray. And I, I cannot even fathom that they said, you know what we got to do? we got to change the scene again, guys. And then add... Very bizarre dialogue. That is, uh, that's 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 impressive. There's some dork explanation of why Lucas did it. I don't remember though. I just think it's funny. So, because um, I'm not any kind of like deep Star Wars nerd, I just it, it it was a big meme last week. That's the only reason I know. So I'm surprised you didn't come across it. 
I'm, I'm getting uh, increasingly older as the days go on, Joe. So uh, I think I'm <laughs> the things are passing me by. And the Disney Plus thing, like I, I have no real interest in getting it either. Like I know people are like, I had buddies who are like, oh man, like the Avengers movies are all on there, and I'm like, I don't, I don't really care. I've never seen any of them. <laughs> Whatever. Like people are yeah. amazed at the lack of movies that I see, and I have to explain to them, like, because they're like, well, how, you never saw any of the Avengers, and I'm like, no, I watch like. A lot of wrestling, <laughs> like you know. Yes, I don't have time for movies because I'm like too busy watching, you know, fucking Noah, you know, the <laughs> Noah the Reborn or whatever, Noah the Best, whatever the hell the, the the show is called. Or I'm watching like you know random ass old Tokyo Dome shows or whatever. So I'm like, nah, I don't, uh, I don't, I haven't seen any of the Avengers movies. So and like I wasn't a big Disney guy even growing up. Even as a kid, I didn't really like Disney all that much. And I didn't have any older brothers and I didn't have any siblings or whatever. So it was just me. And so I kind of controlled whatever I watched. And I, I essentially just watched like college basketball as a kid. Like, like I, I, I never watched like fucking lady and the tramp or like lion King. I saw and I enjoyed or whatever Aladdin I saw and I enjoyed, I guess. But for the most part, like Disney does nothing for me. So yeah, this, this idea of, of getting all of Disney's content, you know, at, at once doesn't really, you know, doesn't have much for me going, but obviously I see the value for someone like yourself. So I don't have it. You don't? The kid, have the no. kids been pounding on the doors? Do they know about it or no? Are they? They know about it. They're two. What do they know, <laughs> know about? Kids are nuts these days, man. Kids watch unboxing videos of, of like people. Kids know YouTube so well and will watch videos of other kids playing with toys, which I'm sure you've seen. I, do, you, do your kids watch those? Um. Yeah they they are addicted to the Ryan Toys review. Which... <laughs> this phenomenon, I, I would love to uh, if if I'm if I wasn't positive, it's some way possibly illegal to get one of these kids on here and and, and discuss like what is the fa- why would you watch another kid opening a box and playing with a toy as opposed to just playing the toy on your own? Like I, I there's like a mental block that I can't get past of, of of why people watch these things. Well, anyone listening who has kids of a certain age knows exactly what I'm talking about with the Ryan toys review. This is the most annoying family. I, I won't put this on for them anymore. If I'm going to be in the room, I can't stand these people. So I, I can't take it. But, but currently, cause you see what the kids do, rich is when they get fixated on something. That's all they watch for about a month. Like they don't want, you know, they were into Peppa pig. They're watching Peppa pig every day for, for months on it. Now they're into the Ryan Toys review. That's all they want to watch every day for months on end. Uh, maybe they find a movie they like. They watch that movie over and over consecutively for months on end. I can't watch this. I, I cannot stand this family. They are the most obnoxious, annoying people. Uh, but it appeals to children. You see, so they, they, they just they and, and and they're like millionaires off of this. It's it, it's really incredible. And you know, it's all from like you're saying, unboxing toys and. You know, playing with the gimmicks and whatnot. And you should see these kids. They're fat. They just stare at the screen like they can't believe what they're seeing. I don't understand it either. It, you know, it, it's, it's, great. it's very weird. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the uh, thumbnails of this Ryan's toy reviews and I'm already annoyed. I don't want to click one of these. They look like the loudest, most obnoxious things I've ever seen in my entire life. They're uh, and the kids. It, the, the kids a brat and the parents are <laughs> and the parents are completely obnoxious. I, I can't stand them. That kid's got a fucking island, though. That kid's got a yacht, so you know what I mean. Like, oh, the parents do. Yeah, this the kid, is, yeah, yeah. This will. This will. I, I cannot wait till like in twenty years to find out the stories of like these children that were like forced into these things or whatever. Very similar, to, like what we had with the child actors or whatever. Your Macaulay Culkins and those sort of yeah. things, where these parents are just like obviously just yeah stealing all the money or whatever. And in twenty years, this kid's gonna be like addicted to crack, talking about how his parents stole all his money or whatever. I can't. I can't wait. It'll be good times for yeah, everybody. But I guess. I guess Ryan. I guess Ryan won't have a good time, but. I will. 
it's tremendous, you know, child exploitation. There's no question about it. But I mean, what happens when the kid's a little older? You know, then the, then the well, I guess by then they will have made their money, mm-hmm. and it's not going to make a difference. But no, there's no Disney Plus in this. Rich Disney stinks. Thank I have you. No I'm, okay, in I'm Disney. glad. Do the kids care at all, or have you kind of steered them away from that, if possible? Well, yeah, the boy is addicted to Toy Story. He loves the Toy Story. That's fine. Buy it. Buy it. Toy Story Blu-rays. He's good, right? Yeah, she. We got him on the DVR. You know, so what do I got to spend six ninety nine a month for? And and the, the girl, she's into Frozen and a couple of the other gimmicks. Um, is Sing Disney? I think that's Pixar, right? So that counts. So uh, I don't know, but but no, I'm not. Come on, Disney stinks. I wouldn't sit there and watch a Disney movie. Don't put your thumbs down. Disney stinks. Okay, here comes TLB walking in the room. <laughs> she knows it. She knows. It's, it's no good. You know, and I'm not into, you know, I'm not into the superhero shit. So that does nothing for right, me. Right, 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 right. I've never seen any of them and never will. Uh, and and uh, what else is, oh, the Star Wars shit. I mean, I've seen the Star Wars movies and they're fine, but they're nothing, you know, I'm not going to watch Star Wars movies 19 times. Okay, I watch them once and I get my fill. You know, so and then, you know, there's people going nuts about like the cartoons that are on there, like the, uh, you know, the um, shit like DuckTales and fucking yeah, Darwin Duck uh, and the Gargoyles are on there. And I have interest for like seven minutes and then I watch them. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're like <laughs> you know, they're made for like 10 year olds. Like I like them right. as a kid. But, you know, as a 32 year old, uh, you know, Saturday morning X-Men isn't really going to quite work for me. So anymore. But hey, that's fine. Yeah, so, but I mean, you know, for six ninety nine, if you're into all that shit, it does sound like like an incredible deal. I got to be honest, but yeah, uh, we got to see if they have an affiliate thing so we can get to, <laughs> be able to sign up for yeah, that before the end of the show so we can make some money off this shit. So yeah, how do we make money off? Yeah, of hold on a minute. Let me let me find out uh, how we can uh, be right back <laughs> as we discuss. Yeah, I'll sit here and uh, you know I'll change my tune. I'll tell you how I love Dumbo and whatever the fuck. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, the, what, what's the Aristocats? Isn't that something? The Aristocats? <laughs> I don't know what the Aristocats are at all. <laughs> the play on words, Aristocats, uh, Lady in the Tramp. What else is there? Uh, I okay. don't even know. If Apparently, they don't have one right now. So yeah, Disney fucking stinks until we can find a way to monetize it, and then Disney is fine. So, um, which by the way, I don't know if you saw Joe. They have released a uh, WWE Shop has released a uh, WWE twenty four seven replica title. VoiceWrestling.com slash WWE Shop if you want to get it for the uh, the Belt Mutant on your list. I mean, what, what a great gift, Joe. The 24-7 yeah. title, to, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> your, your adult Belt Mutant uh, friend on your list, it's, it's just perfect. So, What are the odds that they've released, now that they've released a 24-7 title, right, that you'll, you will, if you go to a WWE show, you will see Belt Mutants competing for the 24-7 oh, Absolutely, title. absolutely. In the concourse with like, Maybe one of their pals is a ref mutant and has like a referee shirt, right? And they're like pinning each other on like the concession stand and, you know, buy the fucking popcorn in the fucking ladies' room. What are the odds you would see something like that with the 24 Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely in line to get to a show as well, you know, where, where people are like outside waiting to get in or whatever, waiting an hour to get, yeah. get into the arena to be the first ones in or whatever. That's definitely going to happen there. I remember um, my favorite memories of this past WrestleMania weekend. Uh, was you, me, and I believe it was Rob Stryker at that time, the the, the mysterious Correct. Rob Stryker walking around WrestleCon, uh, basically just hard judging everybody, <laughs> like looking yes. at how shitty everybody looked or whatever. All the wrestlers, right. I should say. And we saw two belt mutant gets get into like a brawl, like they were yes. fucking livid, man. I, I forget exactly. I, I don't know if we knew exactly what started the the fight, but I just know that we turned around. There's two belt mutants like shouting at one another while their belts are just like falling all over the ground or whatever. And then I believe.
believe the one guy shouted, I'm here for the same reason you are, asshole. And I was like, yes, yeah. let's go. <laughs> this is great. But do you, do you actually do you recall what actually started the fight? I don't know if I remember that. Yeah, I believe they were disputing who was ahead of the other in line. <laughs> yes. Which, by the way, they were one after another. So like, it yeah. wasn't like this guy wasn't going to get his autograph like four minutes after this guy was going to get his autograph. But I do. OK, so that, that's that's incredible. Yeah, but these were next level belt mutants. These guys had belt cases. Remember? Yeah, oh, they had like like roll on luggage cases like this one guy had legitimately like it had to be like $15,000 worth. And these were like I heard him hit the ground. Like these weren't your shitty like, you know, plastic replica belts or whatever. Like these were like real deal replica belts, like leather and 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 real like plating or whatever. You heard him hit the ground and they were loud. And that's how we that's how we turned over because we heard all the you know, the belts hit the ground and we turned around like what the fuck is going on there? And yeah. it was uh quite the scene to see the belt mutants uh fighting with one another, so. Yeah, they 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 nearly got into it. And um and then if you remember uh, oh man, you might not have been, but after we walked out, were you there when we ran into Mantar? <laughs> no, fuck, no, I miss Mantar. Okay. What? So I got a great Mantar story. So we left there. Me and Striker left, and I guess we parted ways or whatever with you. I I, I thought you were there, but I guess not because you definitely would have remembered. No, this. here's what happened. I, I I left thinking you were behind me, and then you weren't, and then I lost you. And then I, I met up with like Joe Gagne and and Andrew Rich, I believe, and and a bunch of other people that were there, and. I te- I'm like, hey, where the hell? They're like, where's Joe? And I was like, well, he's right behind me. I don't know what the hell happened to him. And then you emerge like 20 minutes later out of the WrestleCon area. So this must have been what, what what took up that 20 minutes. Yeah. So Mantar is coming down the hallway. Of course. Right. <laughs> and we're coming the opposite way. And there's like some kid in front of us. I say kid, probably, you know, early 20s or whatever. And he's got like some eight by tens in his hand. And the kid goes, hey, Mantar. Right. And he happened to have a Mantar eight by ten. Right. So he goes, will you sign this for me? And the kid had the eight by 10 and the Sharpie. Right. He was fully prepared. And uh, well, and- so, well, did he have the Mantar eight by 10 at the ready? Yes, which was what? <laughs> like what? Like man, you don't have to put at the top of this pile, of Mantar. Hopefully, did he see him from like a distance and go for him, or did, was it complete accident that he just so happened to have the Mantar eight by 10 on the top of his pile? Well, when you see Mantar coming, you know it's Mantar. Okay, that's number one. First of all, this man is a Nebraska Wrestling Hall of Famer, number one. Okay, This past and weekend, right? Two, this past weekend he became a Hall of Famer, right? No, sir. He was the first inductee to the Nebraska Wrestling Hall of Fame. This weekend he inducted his brother, P.N. News, into the <laughs> Nebraska course, Hall of Fame. Right, right, right. Okay, so how Wait, dare you? I don't think I ever knew that they were brothers. I think that today is the first day I knew that. Wow. Well, today you learned. T.I.L. Okay? So Mantar has come in the opposite direction. Now, it's not like this kid – it's not like all he had was a Mantar 8x10. This is WrestleMania weekend, and it's the WrestleCon Hotel, so he's got, like, hundreds of 8x10s. I don't want to make it sound like it was that total happenstance. So he's shuffling through his 8x10s. He has, like, a little case, and he goes, hey, man, uh, will you sign this? And uh, and Mantar uh, uh, goes, yeah, uh, for 20 bucks, right? And the kid goes, that's a steep amount for Mantar. I remember this is like a hallway encounter, right? Right. right. So the kid's like, ah, you know what? I'll pass. (laughs) So, so the kid like starts putting his shit like back in the case and and just starts walking away, like he didn't like the price, right? So Mantar's standing there looking all sad as the kid's walking away, and he's like, and he and he like cuffs his hand over his his mouth. He's like, well, how about fifteen, right? And the kid is still walking, 
And then he goes, all right, I'll do it for 10. And then the kid stops in his tracks, turns around, and goes, you got a deal. And they shook hands. Incredible. We watched all of this go down, what and then negotiator. he went back. Yeah. Savvy negotiator, this kid, right? He played hardball, and he won. So he goes back in his case, and he gets the 8 by 10 And then, uh, you know, Mantar signs off on it, and he handed him a crisp. Who's on the 10? Hamilton? Is that correct? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know who's on the 10. So <laughs> hands him a crisp bad, yeah. 10, and uh, hands him a 10 spot. And, uh, Alexander and that, Hamilton, indeed, is on the $10 bill. So. There you go. So that is my story of... Mantar getting completely worked in the hallway <laughs> of the WrestleCon hotel by an autograph collector. So, um, yeah, that was. Uh, I thought you were there. I mean, I, I wasn't. I wish I was, man. That sounds incredible. That sounds really, really awesome. Yeah, that. Um, I I would have told that story months ago if I if I because I, I, <laughs> that is so good. No, I didn't know that. That's oh my god, that's great. Yeah, I uh, I didn't have any. I'm trying to figure out the encounters I had at WrestleCon. There wasn't any too, anything too big. Uh, Lex Luger ran over my foot with his uh, wheelchair. That was pretty fun. But that was... <laughs> What's it? Uh, Lex Luger ran over uh, my foot in, in his wheelchair, which uh, wasn't uh, wasn't very pleasant. That was about the only WrestleCon uh, wrestler interaction I had at some point. I think at one point I just like I, I I turned around and there was like Lex Luger in a wheelchair and Iron Sheik like in a cane walking by and it was just like I was in this bizarro world where I'm in this lobby of this New York hotel and there's just like all of these weird old wrestlers just walking around and nobody can see and everyone nobody can walk and they're all limping and I'm just like this is so weird like what am I doing here it's so bizarre yeah it's it's WrestleMania weekend is is a freak show and the WrestleCon hotel is just the epicenter of the freak show it's just it's 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 nonstop little anecdotal stories one after another. Yeah, Black I mean, Taurus. Get, I remember I'm going up an escalator. And Black Taurus is next to me. And it's just this, this shirt. Like in their gear. Like I want. I love that. There's this. There there has to be somebody at this hotel that just booked. You know, a New York weekend away in, in April or whatever, and gets yeah. on this escalator or gets on an elevator, and a shirtless like black bull is just yeah. on their elevator with them. Like, what do you even? How do you even explain that? Like, how do you even say, yeah, no, that's just Black Taurus. Like, it's you know. And then like, I remember later, I think there was a picture of this as well that's floating around the internet where he's just sitting there by his table with his arms crossed, like just kind of waiting for people. He's in this like you know hotel ballroom or whatever, waiting for people to sign this. But it's just like this, yeah, the shirtless. Bull guy yeah. thing that's just like wandering around this because he's always a character like he can't you know he can't just walk around as a normal dude and then throw on the uh, the black Taurus mask before so yeah he's just like wandering around the lobby like going to Starbucks or whatever yeah looking like that and I just I love the the, the idea that like there's somebody normal that's just like walks up to their you know to get a Starbucks to start their day or whatever and they're just waiting in line next to Iron Sheik and Black Taurus or whatever so yeah it's you know that that reminds me. You know, you bring up Black Taurus. It's like WrestleMania weekend. People had Cavanario and Caveman Ugg in the same city, and nobody booked them against each other, and nobody thought to book Mantar against Black Taurus. How does that happen? Oh my God, you're right. And they were in the same building at the same time. Same building at the same time, booked by the same people. Man, how does that not happen? I mean, of all the irony wrestling taking place that weekend, like that's some irony wrestling I'd actually be into. And and nobody bothers booking those two matches. It's incredible. Wow, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I, it, the Caveman Og versus Cavanario. I cannot. I, I still to this day. I'm, I'm, oh, that had to happen. I'm I mean, seething that, that 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 never happened. It's just an, an absolute like an abject failure by everybody that ran WrestleMania weekend. That 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 never happened. So when are we going to get them in the same building again? Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it might never happen again. So 
Maybe I this mean, will turn PWG weekend. Maybe. is like your only hope. PWG is your only hope. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, to... they booked them both, right? So it's like, but they can't get Cavanario. There's like politics and, you know, how often are you going to be flying Caveman Ugg into Reseda? <laughs> or now, I guess, LA now at the Globe Theater. Right, right. But, uh, there you go. <sighs> anyway, so yeah, we got, we got some wrestling to talk about th- this week. W- one thing I did want to touch on. Well, this is, that was wrestling. I mean, it's not like it was not wrestling. It was it was wrestling there. But uh, one thing I did want to talk about it was kind of interesting, and this is kind of a um, maybe a thought experiment to get us started on the show. And and I'm curious what listeners think as well at Voices Wrestling on Twitter uh, if you have any opinions on this as well. But uh, so for for Patreon, I'm, I'm, I restarted the Kings of the Tokyo Dome series, which by the way, Patreon.com/slash/Voices Wrestling, five dollar tier. Uh, by the way, if you want to listen as I go back and watch all the January fourth Tokyo Dome uh, main events uh, from New Japan Pro Wrestling. And, and I'm working my way through, and, and I did it the prior year. Myself and Andrew Rich did it, and we got all the way up to 2010. And then it just was like, oh, man, all these matches are going to be like 50 minutes long and 40 minutes long or whatever. We're, we're up against the deadline. So I started I, – I kicked it back off this year and, and started with 2011, which was an incredible match. I, I use your uh, your review of it as well, the Kojima versus Tanahashi uh, match, which I, I regard, too, as like a one that I believe you told me, like, watch this match, and if you don't like this match, then you don't have to, like, listen to me bitch on and on about, you know, Japanese wrestling ever again. Like, if you don't like this, you're not going to like Japanese wrestling or whatever. You're not going to like New Japan for wrestling. And I remember watching that and, and that being a big reason why this site even exists at, at, on any level was that Kojima Tanahashi match, which uh, still fucking rocks, too. It's it's an incredible match. I went five stars with it. But um, what was interesting, too, is then I went back and I watched the 2012 and that just dropped. That episode just dropped there. And that's Tanahashi versus Suzuki, which the match itself is very, very good. Like, it's a, it's a pretty famous match. It's a very fun match. But what what really grabbed me was not necessarily the match itself, but after the match, you have Okada come out, make the challenge, and this is Okada in his terrible haircut and his terrible clothes. He just looks like an absolute geek. The ch- the fans are chanting, go away, go away. Like, they just fucking hate him. He looks like a geek. He's got no confidence whatsoever. You know, flash forward to a month after that, and Okada comes out. He's got a little bit of a different haircut. He's got the purple in his hair. He's got a little bit more confidence. And he beats Tanahashi, and he wins the, the IWGP heavyweight title, breaks Tanahashi's insanely long reign at, like, I think 12 defenses or 11 defenses or whatever, and I got to thinking, and, and, and it kind of it goes also with what was going on this week with CM Punk returning uh, to WWE, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, and, and some other stuff that had kind of popped up over this last week, and obviously with the 2010s about to wrap up, and we're getting our way, you know, making our way to 2020 and, and whatnot, and there's people doing you know end of decade lists and all that sort of stuff. I, I got to thinking, and, and I'm not sure if I have a, an exact answer, but I think I kind of do. But I was trying to think. What what is the moment that you think, or the moment, or the event, or whatever that symbolizes this decade the best? That was the most important moment of this decade because I I really as watching this Okada thing, and I went back and I watched the Okada Tanahashi match, and you know the next episode of the of the Kings of the Tokyo Dome is going to be their first Tokyo Dome match here in a little bit, and I got to thinking how important that moment was, that all time ballsy booking moment by 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 Gato and New Japan to just say you know what. The guy looks like a geek. Everybody fucking hates him. He's not ready. He just had a horrible match against Yoshihashi, but fuck it. He's going to challenge Tanahashi, and he's going to win the title. And and how that sort of, in, in not necessarily 100% because of that moment, but how that helped kind of kickstart the next you know decade for New Japan. We've seen them grow exponentially over, over the last year, grow to new heights that, they, that they've grown. There's also the CM Punk thing. You know, CM Punk Money in the Bank, which we talked about, wasn't that big of a moment. But to me, what was a huge, huge moment, I mean, it was a big moment to some people in the bubble, but to me, the big moment was his walkout. And, and I remember us talking about that, like, wall to wall when that happened as well, and how, like, holy crap, this is just a huge, huge, huge moment. You know, a few weeks ago, you talked about Daniel Bryan's retirement how that how big that felt at the time too obviously aw we're talking about you know dynamite every single week here you know that being formed is there is there any moment event thing in your mind that sticks out as like the defining or the biggest moment of this decade in wrestling 
There's been a lot. And that, that's kind of what I noticed as well. I was like, man, I, I don't know that I have a, a definite answer right away. Yeah, you didn't – man, um, you didn't tell me we were going to do this segment because I think you wanted to kind of catch me off guard. Yeah, I it. wanted to see what came, what came uh, to your mind immediately. If I said, Joe, define the 2010s in wrestling. Like what's the, what's the one moment, the one thing, the one video, the one event, whatever you want to say, the one match, whatever, that to you – most symbolizes this decade, the most important thing in this decade. Okay, so I think whenever you talk about something like this, you do need the benefit of hindsight because something like I think something like All In, I think I I definitely have to put up there. Uh, just the event itself, not any particular moment from the event, but uh, just everything about All In may wind up being. You know, one of the most significant events in wrestling history. Um, or they could be out of business in a year and a half and it, you know, it, its significance uh, drops exponentially. So then, you know, you mentioned Tanahashi being confronted by Okada in the 2012, uh, following the 2012 Wrestle Kingdom main event. That's a perfect example of one where, with the benefit of hindsight, I mean, in the moment, it looked like horrible booking decision that was going to flop, right? Like you said, they're, they're chanting for him to go away. He has no confidence. Uh, he had a terrible match an hour earlier. And with the benefit of hindsight, easily that's one of the biggest moments of the decade because of what it led to. Uh, New Japan's exponential growth and Okada becoming an all-time great wrestler and first ballot Hall of Famer. And, and all of those things and the Okada-Tanahashi feud, which is going to go down as one of the greatest rivalries of all time, all of those things. Um, so I would say Okada-Tanahashi, all in. I think that I would throw in Daniel Bryan winning the title in the Superdome. How do you feel about that one? No, that's a good one, too. I was trying to think of how to properly analyze the Daniel Bryan thing because it felt like it was – and that's like I said. That's why I said kind of moment or events or, or, or story or whatever because his little rise, it, it was a multi, multi-month story but really culminating in that WrestleMania 30. And, and, yeah, that is a pretty important thing as well. But I think, like you said, the benefit of hindsight is in that moment at that time I'm thinking this is incredible. Look at this guy after all that has been going on the last few months or whatever. They kind of dicked him around a little bit but it was too much to, to, to possibly ignore. And there he is holding up the title in the middle of the Superdome with the crowd going absolutely nuts. Like, you would have thought in that capsule, in that moment, like, holy shit, this is a transformor- like we, this is a transformative moment that we're seeing right now. But again, with the hindsight, like, he gets hurt a month later and he's gone right after that. So there's really no, there's no lasting impact to that moment, really. So that's where, like, I agree as a singular moment, it does sort of, it registers in my head immediately. But then also, like you said, it, I, to me, I'm, I'm kind of giving more credit to things that, that were worth more the whole decade or, 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 or had lasting impacts versus like this one monetary moment or, or this just one single moment that was like, oh, wow, that was really cool. But then what did it mean? Like, the, the, again, like I mentioned the CM Punk money in the bank thing, like in that moment, that was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. The wrestling business is never going to be the same again. And then like, you know, two months later, nothing's happening and he's fighting Kevin Nash and, and it doesn't matter ultimately. So well, except it formed this site. And, and that's one of the most important things this you know decade, of course, is oh, without question. The formation of voices of wrestling. So. I have to disagree with you, though. I think that beginning with Money in the Bank, it's really marked, at least the United States, the decade of where the fans really imposed their will on the wrestling business. True. Yeah. 
And and we saw it first with CM Punk, and then we saw it with Daniel Bryan, regardless of whether the company followed up on it properly. The fans the fans will cause that moment in, in New Orleans. You know, and and the fans willed the the elite into doing all in and to you know and, and which eventually led to the creation of AEW. So this has been a decade of the fans just being tired of the status quo and willing their way into what they want. It, 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 even it, and you know even with rejections by rejecting Roman Reigns. I was going to say the Daniel Bryan thing also really plays a factor in Roman Reigns not getting off because they wanted Roman Reigns to be the guy and the, the crowd was like no 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 we want Daniel Bryan to be the guy and there was that 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 tug between the two parties and it resulted in pretty much you know Daniel Bryan obviously not you know because of uh, extenuating circumstances wasn't the guy but we see now with Roman Reigns who feels like just a dude at this point in his career largely because of that. So yeah that, that is a really good point. So to me, yeah, the the money in the bank thing absolutely is it has got to be a contender for for what you're calling the pivotal moment of the decade because it really set the tone, you know. And then uh, it, it really uh, it it showed that the fans that they they could have skin in the game and they could impose their will on things and that and that and that um and and, and that's and that's a trend that continued throughout the whole decade. In, in, in multiple ways, whether it was uh, just forcing the things that they wanted or completely rejecting the things that they didn't want. You know, it's it's the fans feel like they have currency. And it was a constant struggle where WWE fought against the fans and fought against the fans' will. And then Tony Khan shows up and the elite shows up and all in happens – and now you have a company that's just going with the fans' will. And instead of fighting against the fans and trying to tell the fans they know what's best for them, here we have a company that gives, seemingly gives the fans everything they want. And, 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 you know, we're, as we speak, we're only seven or eight weeks into it, into their television at least. And so far, it looks like it's been, you know, a pretty successful way of approaching it so that we all know what's going to happen long term but so yeah so from that perspective you know i i don't really think it matters whether wwe properly followed up on punk which they absolutely did not or that whether they properly followed up on daniel bryan which we know they did not uh those are moments that still uh both set the tone and continue the trend of this decade of fans realizing that Hey, look, we've got some agency over there. We don't have to just take what they give us. We can attempt to impose our will. And um, for those reasons, I, I would have to disagree with you, and I would say that that, that those moments would register as some, among the biggest of the decade. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, that, that's – yeah, the way you, you phrase it there, it does – it's a few different chains you have to go through, but yeah, as you kind of reason through there, it, it does sort of, yeah, it, it, it kind of works. Because in my head, I'm trying to think, okay, well, no, there had to have been another, but it really was kind of that launching pad of, of I mean, the story was CM Punk saying, hey, this company sucks, and, and you know, Vince McMahon's an idiot, and all this sort of stuff, and, and that was kind of the story, and it was obviously a, a good story to tell in their company, and, and it's not the first guy to ever say that, like Stone Cold Steve Austin said the same thing, but it felt like Punk's 
entire idea was like, I'm going to leave this company and, 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 and do bigger and better things or whatever. And obviously that wasn't the story, but it got this idea in people's heads of like, oh, hey, you know what? Like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool if like there was another company that was out there. There would be cool. Like it felt like people finally wanted an alternative after, you know, a lot of the 2000s where WCW obviously had died. And, and you know, TNA obviously, you know, it, it came and, and you know, it, I, I don't want to say went because it's obviously still around, but it never really all ever felt like a true number number two. And, and, and even their, you know, attempts at, you know, kind of sideswiping WWE. Were, were kind of lame and not really quite there, but it felt like the punk thing really resonated. And yeah, I guess to your, you know, your sort of idea there is that yeah, it did sort of start this whole entire concept of fans sort of revolting against WWE and looking for an alternative and and seeking alternatives and whatnot. And we've seen you know because of it in a lot of ways. You know, uh, you know, I, I would say you know another thing that really you know kind of resonates with me a little bit in this this 2010s is kind of the rise of the super indies as well and a lot of just great talent that kind of went unused and unnoticed by WWE for for many many years as well and that's not to, I mean obviously Ring of Honor in the 2000s was incredible but that was a lot of young hungry guys maybe guys that had had for whatever reason or not not latched on or whatever but we saw throughout the 2010s a lot of guys that were just like how have you not signed this guy? Like, what the hell? Like, why is this guy not, you know, in your system? Why is this guy not, you know, a, a, a superstar or whatever? And, you know, we're seeing, we, we saw, you know, for a few years there, and we knew it was kind of fleeting. We knew it was only going to last a little bit. But we saw for a few years there, the Indies just be an incredible breeding ground of just awesome talent. And 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 even more so in the early 2000s, which, you know, or the, the, the mid-2000s, I should say, as well, which had Ring of Honor and had, you know, a few other companies here and there. But it felt like this decade, it was like you could go to your Indie in your hometown, and there was a good chance you were going to see, like, a handful of incredible wrestlers at that indie, and 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 I I don't know if that's a defining moment of this decade, but it's something that I will remember about the 2010s for sure. Yeah, the rise of the super indie. Yeah, um, I've got two, and I'll give you the first one. I would say, what do you think about Cesaro versus Sami Zayn on the first not takeover, but really setting the tone? for takeover with that very first live match out of the gate on what would you know eventually become to be known as takeovers and i and, and i believe the first live match on wwe network if i'm not mistaken that yeah absolutely it was yeah no that's um no for sure that that is huge huge moment i remember it was my birthday that day it's february 27th was, was the day of that that match and i remember my buddies are like hey you know what are you doing for your birthday are you doing anything and i was like ah no i'm just gonna hang out or whatever and the reason why is i wanted to see that because i was just like this this has got to be something good this has got to be pretty fun like there's there's you know it's this historic moment or whatever and it didn't disappoint like you said it jumped off the page and if you haven't seen that match in a while it still holds up um that that's definitely one i i i I wonder exactly what the impact of it was ultimately. I guess, you know, it, it sort of set the stage for what NXT would be as kind of this alternative. It set the stage of what the WWE Network was going to be and what it was going to introduce uh, to people as well. And and I guess it is, like you said, it, it was that kind of opening moment of the WWE Network. So I think that, that yeah, that, 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 that probably should be included in the list no matter what. And the other one I would say, and this is a good example of one with the benefit of hindsight, which really led to a million different dominoes falling and, and and where we are today. That would be Prince Devitt turning on Rusuke Taguchi and forming the Bullet Club. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a deep cut, man. You're right. No, you're absolutely right, though. Because look at everything that led to. You know, the, the you know, Devitt moves on. AJ Styles shows up. Um, he you resurrects know, his career. <laughs> resurrects <laughs> his career with, without that Bullet Club and slash New Japan run. You know, who knows where he is today. Um you know, maybe still toiling away in TNA if he took, you know, took their offer. And then, of course, 
the Bullet Club, spawning off of the Bullet Club was the Elite, and then we all know what happened with the Elite, and now as I record this, I'm watching AEW live on TNT. So, you know, I, I think that one would have to have consideration. Uh, you know, the Devitt turn on, and who knew, other than just, you know, the, the possible other than just leading to the push of Prince Devitt and the possible creation of a brand new single star for New Japan, uh, the, the long-term impact that that turn would have, you know, as he left on the shoulders of, uh, of bad luck folly, you know? So um, I would throw that one in there as well. And that's then a I guess cool you, one. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a cool one. One that kind of came to my mind as you were talking about this as well is um, – uh, Brock Lesnar's return to WWE. I would say that Extreme Rules, I think, was the name of the pay-per-view in Chicago. Uh, him versus Cena as he comes back and just, like, right out of the gates, he's, like, incredible and good and, and awesome. And, and he's really come to define this entire decade in WWE, for better or for worse. Like, whatever way you want to sort of phrase it. But, like, you know, we're Brock fans. So we're, we're, you know, I'm fine with it. I think it's been pretty fun to watch his run here. And I think it's been, obviously, he, he has been the top star in that company this decade. They've tried with a bunch of other guys. But it always comes back to Brock Lesnar. And, and in large ways, too, you want to kind of talk about Domino's. I don't think they're on Fox if Brock Lesnar's not there and not a star. You, you know what I mean? So, like, you can really attribute a lot of what happened with WWE over that next decade to Brock Lesnar returning, coming in, and, and just immediately jumping off the page and just being good. Like, it, he could have went in there half-assed like he did in Japan or whatever and, and, and not given much effort, and it'd be in and out, and it'd be like, oh, yeah, that was just kind of a blip. Yeah, Brock came back, whatever. But he comes out, and he has that awesome match with John Cena, and it really sets the stage for the next decade where Vince pretty much – loses confidence in every person that he tries to push or, or, or the fans lose confidence in every person he tries to push or the fans turn on every person he tries to push. And he always goes back to, we talk about the security blanket of Brock Lesnar, who time and time again, year after year, is central in every WWE story. Again, for better or for worse, depending on your your, your mileage of that. But it's hard to, to not say that he kind of really defined that entire decade for, for WWE. I would totally agree. Yeah, I mean... Um... I, I, in fact, I don't think how any you know, even if you hate Brock Lesnar, I don't I don't know how you could dispute it. Um, how about obviously Becky Lynch winning the three way at WrestleMania, being the first women's main event in WrestleMania history, Ronda Rousey the whole bit, and then I guess you'd also have to bring up uh, Takeover Brooklyn, right? As another. Sort of, I think that was the match mm-hmm. which really showed. Okay, this you know this this group of four women can really change things, right? And ultimately, they did. So, um, I would throw those two matches in there as well. And then um, after, I mean, unless we're missing something very obvious, I don't know where else to turn. You want to throw? The Shield debut on Raw in there, coming out and throwing people through the, uh, you know, announce table. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, that was it was a big deal, and and obviously it, it spawned three pretty big stars in that company, three huge stars in that company, three people that they'd pushed from that point forward. So yeah, that that's absolutely something, and I think that you know, it, it, in in some ways too, and and again, it's you know, we're now a few years removed from that, but but the Shield debut really kickstarted. A great. I, I know people don't believe this, but there was a time when Joe and I talked about how great WWE TV was and how great WWE pay-per-views were with the exact words of, enjoy this now because it might not last forever. <laughs> I remember our words because the Shield yeah. every single week would go out there and just have fucking great matches on TV. They went to three hours and everybody was so worried about three-hour Raws. 
And out of the gates, they had Daniel Bryan, they had The Shield, they had the Wyatt family, they had CM Punk, and they had just like a, a, a really good roster at that time. And the three-hour Raws were great because all there were were just incredible 20-25 minute trios matches or 20-25 minute really good matches every single week on Raw. And, and yeah, like you said, it really, in a lot of ways, kickstarted those three guys' careers. And 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 so yeah, I think that has to be a moment that you, you, you bring up. I mean, maybe now it seems a little fleeting, but to that company, to the ethos and, and, and sort of the entire story and the history of WWE, like that's a, that's a pivotal moment moment like that kickstarted Roman Reigns' career kickstarted Seth Rollins' career and obviously Dean Ambrose has, has now moved on and done other stuff but yeah you can't deny how big that moment was so no I, I think that's pretty that, that's perfect as well and I guess another one would be uh Kofi over Daniel Bryan at Wrestlemania um now that's one that's sort of the reverse in that a lot of these things we're talking about these moments we're talking about may not have felt like they were super significant in real time but with the benefit of hindsight, turned out to be you know incredibly significant. This is sort of the reverse. This is one that everyone recognized was an incredible moment in real time, but then it didn't have the lasting impact of some of these other moments because the ensuing title reign was kind of a dud. But the moment itself and the culmination of that story is something that I absolutely would throw in this group. What do you think of that yeah, one? Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. Yeah, and it, it, it again, like it hurts because you you – you kind of know that, like, in five years, it's like you're going to remember that moment and that's it. And you're not going to be able to, like, we did the dominoes here. I don't think we're going to be able to do the dominoes with Kofi's title win. You know, you know, it, it yeah. kind of ended when Brock beat him in, in 10 seconds. It was like, oh, okay, the dominoes have, have stopped and that's over. Like, I don't think there's going to be any residual from that. I don't think we're going to look back at that moment and say, you know, in 15 years and go, okay, well, this happened because that happened or whatever. But like you said, that, that, that's not taking away from that moment and, and how important that moment was and how important that story was and, and how big of a deal that was as well. So, so I, I'm with you too. That, that one definitely needs to get included. Uh, yeah. Uh, and talk I mean, about. Maybe not with the same amount of, of, of praise and reverence as, as some of these other ones we've talked about, but no, it, it 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 was a singular moment in this decade that that I think we'll remember for for a long, long time. I mean, in real time, that felt bigger than a lot of the ones we're talking about. Oh, you for know sure. what I mean? It, it just didn't end up having, uh, you know, the ripple effect moving forward that the others did, which didn't feel as big in real time. So you can approach this sort of um, thought exercise in multiple different ways. So. Um, just racking my brain. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've got a couple in mind, but clearly they're a slightly lower tier. Like you'd have, you know, Okada beating Tenru. You know, I wouldn't put that on the same level as some of these other ones, but it was definitely symbolic and it was definitely memorable. And, you know, to me, looking back on that Okada Tenru match, it's like, to me, that's sort of a turning point in Okada's career where he went from the young upstart to, because in that match, I mean, he had to save that all by himself. You remember that match. Oh, for it, sure, it just, yeah. One of my favorite matches this entire decade. One of my favorite yeah. matches ever. I love that match. I mean, he was he was basically wrestling uh, whatever analogy you want. He, he, was, he, he had to work that match alone, essentially. And he basically just let – he allowed Tenru – to beat the living shit out of him. Because right, we that's talked all, about it during the match where you could tell Okada talks to him and says, look, dude, just, just fucking punch me, man. <laughs> like, your, your punches look like shit. I get it. Just beat me up, man. Just do just whatever you got to do. Let, let's, 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 let's do this here. So Those stiff drop kicks, those basement drop kicks, he just he just says, kill me because otherwise this looks terrible. He took hellacious bumps. He looked like he, he was in a street fight by the time it was over. And with all the symbolism of that match and then, um, you know, it's like, that that showed that Okada was like, okay, now now this guy's an ace. You know, and I even think I wrote that in the review. Like this now you're seeing someone mature from 
rising star that we all believe is going to be an all-timer to, that right there was is what an ace does. He saves a match. He makes sure that a legend doesn't completely embarrass himself. And he gives everybody uh, – and he gives this guy a memorable send-off that he deserves. You know, And uh, to me, that's sort of where Okada turned the corner from young burgeoning star to confident all-time great ace. Yeah, so, so here's actually you, – you wrote this on uh, November 18, 2015 here. The uh, t- title of the article is The New Ace, The Old Ace, and The Best Show of the Year. Uh, he said, quote, Okada handled himself with poise. He saved the match when it was on the verge of falling apart, and he set Tenru out on a high note. The official coronation is a few months away, but on this night, more than any other night, Okada truly became the ace. And the old ace, with nothing left but charisma and guts, was gracious enough to allow it to happen and smart enough to know how it it would make him uh, how good it would make him look. Uh, no heel authority figures. No whining about booking minutia. No overanalyzation of work rate. It was beautiful. It was symbolic. It was everything we love about wrestling. Two aces doing the honors for each other: the old ace and the new ace. Man, that good guy. Should, there. That guy's a good writer. There. That guy, that guy should write more. My God, I'm good. Jeez, I'm great at the audio. Don't get me wrong, but uh, my God, can I can I write? I'm I'm a hell of a scribe. I should get back into that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that basically, um, I phrased it far more eloquently in the review than I did just now. But, yeah, that's basically the gist of it. Yeah, by the um, way, if you have not seen that match, go. go. I'm sure I, – I don't know if it's – I don't know where it's available. I think it was on New Japan World for a while. I don't know if it still uh, is or I, I think it might be on – it's okay. So it's on – yeah, you can find it. T- type in Okada Tenru, you'll you'll see it. <laughs> It'll come it's on, up. It's on New Japan World. It is, okay, that's what I thought too. It, it's yeah. it's on nefarious means as well if you if you need to. But yeah, um, yeah, definitely going. I, I think that is not one of the better matches of the decade, but one of my favorite matches of the decade. And I think yeah, like you said, it really it really set the stage for Okada in this last half of the decade to become like what he is right now. And 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 that's why like that moment, like I didn't think it was going to hit me on this level that it did as I'm going back and watching. You know, kind of come out and challenge Tanahashi at, at, at Dome and and then go back and watch in February. And I also found out that in that time in between uh, the Dome and that February show is when Kidani and, and, and um, Bushi Road purchased New Japan as well, which is another like huge moment. It's just like some random, you know, sale. And it was like for, you know, pennies on the dollar where Bushi Road slides in here and, and buys the debt and buys the company for like $400,000 or some insanely low figure or whatever with this idea of like, yeah, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And yeah, you know, Kadani's got some big ideas or whatever, but you know, what does he know? Or what does he know about promoting wrestling and all that sort of stuff? And, and, and yeah, well, we see now what sort of happened with new Japan and, and, and the rise of that company in, in, in the, you know, the sphere of pro wrestling is, is, is huge. I mean, we talk about, you know, closing out the decade now with them starting to in 2020, like operating a subsidiary in the United States is is, is just yeah it, it, it's pretty nuts. But yeah, I didn't I didn't expect that moment to hit me on that level and really make me think, holy shit! Like what a what an unbelievable moment and what what a defining moment of this generation that that like you said the Kofi thing you knew at the time. Okay, this is important. This is symbolic. This is whatever. That is just like some geek in terrible gear coming out and challenging Tanahashi to the crowd booing him, and you would never know that. Oh, what this is going to do is create like. Uh, a new boom period in Japanese wrestling and, and create one of the best stars and one of the biggest stars and one of the best rivalries, you know, in wrestling history, you know, in that moment, you would never have guessed that you would have never guessed that 30 days later, this guy would go and beat Tanahashi and break, break that great reign. So it's funny how that stuff happens. Like sometimes in the moment we, we have no idea what it means or what it, what it's worth. And, and it ends up being, you know, tremendously like the, the Finn Balor thing too, or the, the Prince Devitt thing. I think people thought, Oh, cool. He turned heel. Like, you know, that's, that's all it was. It, it, it was never, nobody would ever think that, you know, a, a, 
a American company would compete on the level of WWE or near the level of WWE based off Prince Devitt turning on Ruske Taguchi, you know, in 2012 or whatever. Like, you would have yeah. never guessed that. And it's it's so funny how those dominoes can kind of work their way and, and, and fall certain ways. So, And I believe he executed that turn, if I'm not mistaken, on the Invasion Attack show, which had the Okada-Tanahashi arm match. Am I am I right about oh, that? I think you are. Yeah, let me let me find out for sure if that was. Which, oh my god, which, what a, what an what a few months then. Jesus Christ. Which, which that show took place on the same WrestleMania weekend as the infamous Elgin Davy Richard match at Showdown in the Sun. And and the reason I remember all of this is because or no, that may have been the year before the Showdown in the Sun match. I may be a year off on that one. But um I remember watching that invasion attack in a hotel room on a business trip where I also attempted to watch the rest of WrestleMania weekend as well on sketchy hotel internet. <laughs> so the, 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 uh, there was a year between those. The, so the invasion attack thing was 2013. Was right. The Prince Devitt where he turned on it. And, and that did have the Okada Tanahashi match, the best of the, of, of their entire series. Right. So those were on the same show and okay. So that was the WrestleMania weekend with that, with that horrible Evolve tournament then to, to crown the first Evolve champion? Could that be it? 2013 WrestleMania weekend. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what was going on. <sighs> the 2013 WrestleMania weekend here. Uh, Evolve. And, oh, God. Yeah, 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 it was. And maybe the Shingo, Gar- uh, the Shingo Gargano uh, rope match may have been that weekend? I think. Uh, no, so that was later, I believe. Was it? I think. So that that year, I thought it was. But no, the 2013 is... is um, is Shingo? Well, no. Hold on a minute. You're right. Yeah, it is. Shingo Gargano. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, and because the next year Gargano was already a heel, and he lost that title to Ricochet, and that's the show that the infamous show that I drove to, where I assure you, ma'am, the cat is a trained professional. <laughs> right, so, that was the Masato Tanaka show, right? That that one. Correct. Yeah. A hero Tanaka. Yeah, that was 2014 in New Orleans on the Tulane campus. So 2013 was when Gargano did the turn on Shingo. So you had, and I believe it was the same day, Shingo Gargano, the Prince Devitt turn. You had the Gargano turn on Shingo. You had the Prince Devitt turn, and you had the arm match in the main event of Invasion Attack as well, all in the same day. Which you know that that was. That, that's a great day. Jesus, for, yeah. This know. April April sixth, two thousand thirteen, uh, Dragon Gate USA opened the Ultimate Gate. What a this show, man! I'm gonna I'm gonna read the the guys that are in this match or in these 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 well, matches. Look, Dragon Gate USA rules. I know people it, that, that that dog on Dragon Gate USA are just the dumbest people in the world. I mean, this is yeah. like the breeding ground for everything you've seen for wrestling for the next decade. <laughs> is that, like listen yeah. to the names I'm gonna announce here. This is April sixth, yeah. two thousand thirteen, Secaucus, New Jersey. Um, which which sucks. That was like <laughs> so. Where were you on business? You weren't in New Jersey though, right? You you were like somewhere dumb. No, no, no. I, I moved to Texas in 2009. Um, so, yeah, I was in uh, – a matter of fact, I remember I was in Corpus Christi, Texas that weekend. Ah, that gross. <laughs> a terrible city. I mean just an atrocious, an atrocious city. I mean it doesn't get much worse than Corpus Christi, Texas. So anyway, uh, so this is the open, the ultimate gate. The opener is Rich Swan versus Brian Kendrick. There is a scramble freestyle match. Tony Nese, Chuck Taylor, Shane Strickland, Fire Ant, Jigsaw, and Eric Cannon. So if we're going to unmask people as well, that's a pretty important match for the rest of, you know. Yeah. Uh, this one, not so much. Scott Reed defeats Derek Rise. That, um Scott Reed. <laughs> maybe not that one, but that's all right. Future Dragon Gate superstar Scott Reed. <laughs> what happened to Derek Rise? I don't know who, I don't remember who Derek Rise is. <laughs> 
Couldn't tell you. Yeah. Uh, Trent, question mark, question mark, question mark, uh, versus John Davis. Tomahawk TT and Ata versus the Super Smash Brothers. Yeah. Holy shit. T Hawk and Ata. Yeah. Randomly on the show. Incredible. Ricochet versus Akira Tozawa. Yep. Ua Nation, obviously. Apollo Crews versus Sammy Callahan. <laughs> the Young Bucks versus Shima and Air Fox. Yeah. And then Johnny Gargano versus Shingo in the main event. Of a fucking awesome match, too. Like an oh, all-time great God. match. Five easy five star. I went back and watched it this last, you know, WrestleMania weekend or whatever, just to say because yeah. it was during the Jar- Johnny Gargano thing. It was after, you know, as I was getting ready, I knew I was gonna go to a takeover or whatever, and I had seen the Johnny Gargano story, I'd seen him, you know, win the title over Adam Cole, a match that I loved. And I was like, let me go back and watch this match. Like I want to see if this match if it holds up and fuck oh my god it does so much gargano versus chingo i love it because what i did is i went on wnlive.com and i still have my purchase of it which they still get honored so like wow. it was incredible like i went on there i'm like well i bought this thing and i remember buying like the, the vod as well the live and vod i wonder if it still shows up and it fuck it did and i was like oh yeah let's go like hey they, they say you have them for life I, they did they weren't wrong i went back 2013 it was still there so how about that but that was, yeah, holy shit. Look at the names on that card. Like, TGSA was so good. WrestleMania <laughs> Weekend, Joe. Remember WrestleMania Weekend? It used to be I so remember good. when WrestleMania Weekend used to be good. Yes. <laughs> this is what um, we say when people are like, oh, yeah, you did, 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 did. This is what we're talking about. This is what it used to be. Look well, at the names I mentioned there. The only guys that are not important in today's wrestling on some level, Scott Reed, Derek Rise, I guess Jigsaw, Eric Cannon, and I guess John Davis. Everybody else that I've mentioned is all important still. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's, it's a different world. I, I really believe Mania Weekend peaked in Dallas a couple of years ago. Um, you know, you had Sami Zayn and Nakamura, you know, selling out NXT. And you had um, the great WWN shows. That was the peak of Evolve. Remember those great – you want to – if you want to weep at a lineup of a wrestling show – Look at those Evolve lineups in Dallas. I mean, my God. You know, well, you know, it's, it's Matt Riddle, Zach Sabre Jr., TJ Perkins, uh, uh, Will Ospreay, Ricochet, Marty Skrull, Timothy Thatcher, Chris Hero, um, you know, Drew Gulak, uh, 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 Biff Busick. Um, you, you're right. I'm forgetting a million guys. I mean, Evolve was fucking loaded that year, you know, and then um, – that was the Eddie Dean Ranch, and right across the street was WrestleCon, so you could just walk back and forth all day long to whatever shows you were going to, and all the shows were loaded. And then, you know, the next couple of years were okay. And then, um, but I really think, you know, that the, the Dallas, I think 2016. Yeah, uh, that, that's exactly. Yeah, this show, I remember this one too, Evolve 58. Um, opener is Drew Galloway and Johnny Gargano uh, versus Anthony Nice and Caleb Conley. Yes. Which felt very weird at the time, and obviously we knew that, because uh, <laughs> the reason why is old Drew was going to get in a car and uh, drive off into the distance <laughs> and go away for a little yeah. while, because uh, that's why he was in the opener there, but uh, pretty fun there. But anyway, yeah, awesome stuff. Oh, they were also accompanied by Kota Ibushi. <laughs> he just came out with Callaway and Johnny Gargano. Yeah, I forgot Kota Ibushi was there that weekend. <laughs> right, yeah, that's because so, he's know. doing flips off the fucking you know, facade at the Eddie Dean's Ranch or whatever. Uh, yeah. Timothy Thatcher versus Matt Riddle. 
uh, Marty Scroll versus Fred Yehi, Sammy Callahan versus Ethan Page, TJ Perkins versus Ricochet, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Will Ospreay, another match I get I remember giving five stars as well. One that you absolutely, absolutely have to go out of your way and see if you've never seen maybe, this before. Maybe maybe the best match, best live match I've ever seen. Oh, maybe. just incredible. It, it, it's only 16 minutes, which I can't believe. I thought that match was like double that amount of time. It's 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 fucking spectacular. And then uh Drew Gulak and Tracy Williams uh versus Chris Hero and Tommy End. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about Tommy N. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and, um, you know, at some point on that weekend, they had the great six-man tag with Ibushi. And on one of the other cards that weekend, they had the Willow Spray versus Ricochet match, you know, before New Japan did it. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. You know, which is, you know, I was front row for that one as well. And and another tremendous – I mean, you know, that – nothing is going to top, uh, you know, that WrestleMania weekend, top to bottom um, with what was going on. To me, that was the- – I, hate I was so close to going to that weekend, too. I was so close to going. I forget what happened. I don't know. Because, like, Michelle was working the entire weekend as well. I could have gone. Something happened, and I was like, nah, forget it. And then when the weekend was over, I was just like, fuck. <laughs> like, I felt yeah. like such an idiot. And I wanted to rectify it as quickly as I could. And obviously, it took me a few years to do it. But, uh, yeah, I remember that weekend. Like, I knew I could go. I think I remember my buddy who really, really wanted to go. He really wanted to go to WrestleMania. We had, like, looked at plane tickets. We were ready to buy it. And then he backed out last minute, and I just decided, ah, no, nah, no, nah, whatever. I'll just watch the shows at home or whatever. And I regret it to this day still. So, Yeah, and across the street, WrestleCon booked Rey Mysterio Jr. that weekend. They had a Willow Spray Marty Skrull match in the, you know, the midst of their long rivalry where Skrull kept finding new and creative ways to beat him. So, uh, you know, they had a progress. I believe it was a progress world title match on that show, if I'm not mistaken, on the WrestleCon show. So, you know, all weekend on both sides of the street, it was just uh, utterly ridiculous. But um, we've we've definitely drifted off the, uh, the top here. But to, <laughs> but to bring it full circle, I mean, you know, you brought up that you watched that Tanahashi Satoshi Kojima match from uh, – what was that? 2000, 2011, 2011, January 4th, 2011. Yeah. And I mean, that was, you know, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't necessarily put it on the level of some of these other moments or matches or things that we've brought up, but that was really a turning point match for new Japan as well. You know, it was really representative. And I wrote this in one of my reviews for this match, really representative of a turning point for the company. It was really Satoshi Kojima's last stand as a main eventer. That would be his last, significant main event match of his career. And I know he had a title shot against Okada uh, a year later or whatever, but you know, that was on a a smaller show and, and, but this was the last stand for Satoshi Kojima, uh, you know, uh, worldwide top guy, so to speak, you know what I mean? And, and he also represented the previous generation in that match. And Tanahashi had been IWGP champion before, but the, that win over Kojima set off his his record breaking reign and really the trademark reign of Hiroshi Tanahashi with the IWGP title, and it was the final transition from those third gen guys to Tanahashi. Yeah, and well, and, and and the other thing too is that reign ended with Okada too, which made that much more poignant. Yes, is that Okada didn't just beat a guy in the midst of you know uh, whatever he beat Tanahashi after that reign. And as we know, that was all the long-term plan. Tanahashi gets the long, record-breaking run, and Okada, the young boy, goes away. But when he comes back, this is the guy we're going to hitch our wagon to, and we're counting on Tanahashi to get him over. And we're going to tell a long, multi-year story with these two guys, and we're going to establish Tanahashi firmly as the man, and then it's going to be his job to get this new guy over as, uh, as 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 the new star that carries us for the next decade. 
and it all worked out. And that's why when I get my Hall of Fame ballot, Gato is one of the easiest names I check off. It is a masterful plan that worked out to perfection. And um, so, yeah, the Tanahashi-Kojima match, you know, it, it's very symbolic in its own right. Again, in hindsight especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, it, and- it wasn't like the, the, a new era didn't begin with that match, but it, it set the stage, I think, in a lot of yes. ways. There's like a weird in-between era that begins with Tanahashi there. And it, it, it sets the stage for what then would become the whole new era or of New Japan. But I, I'd buy too if you want to say that that was the beginning of that new era, because like you said, and 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 I talk about it in, in in the review as well, patreoncom slash Voice of Wrestling, of course, is that like you know Kojima and and you said it as well in the in the, in the written expert that, that that I that I talked about as well is that Kojima represented kind of that old era, the old strong style, and he wrestles that way as well in this match. Like this yeah, is yeah. this is Kojima. All he does is lariats and kicks and punt. Like he is straight just strong style in this match. And Tanahashi is very much what we come to know for the next you know decade of New Japan style. He's going for the big shots, the kickouts, the the high fly flows, the big impact moves or whatever. And Kojima just gets up and and and, and tries to take his head off of the lariat and, or tries to chop him or or wear him down or whatever. And that's like it, it, it's kind of funny to see and and it does kind of represent. Okay, Tanahashi beats him and finally puts that entire era. Behind him, finally puts that that, that strong style, the Inoka, whatever you want to say about the last ten years or whatever that era was of New Japan, puts it away in that match and sort of moves on and becomes the new, you know, the real the, the real charge of the company. Even though, yeah, he had multiple Tokyo Dome main events at that point, multiple title reigns, but this was like the career defining one. This was the okay, this is the reign where you are no doubt the top guy in this company. Yeah, and uh, and this was not you know smiling. Bread Club Kojima that you've become familiar. Oh fuck no! God, no no no! This was ass kicker, strongest arm Kojima that I fell in love with uh, during the previous decade and became one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. You know, with the great run that he had in all Japan, and then returning to New Japan, and um, you know that, that those are all stories for another day. But um, but Kojima again. I mean, and really that. To me, that match is like the last vestige of old school Kojima. Not that I don't appreciate the stuff that Kojima has done since as he entered the twilight of his career, because he had some really good years after that as well. Uh, don't get me wrong. Um, but but that really was, Koji- to me, Kojima's last stand. All right, so that was fun. I enjoyed the little exercise. Let, let us know as well. You can either go to the uh, uh, the Voice Wrestling Discord, voiceofwrestling.com slash Discord, or uh, at Voices Wrestling on Twitter. Let us know if we missed any moments that you think are, are you know, decade-defining, era-defining moments that we may miss from this decade or whatnot that uh, that come up and, and, and really, you know. Yeah, I, I think we got most of them, but I'm sure there's one or two that we missed or whatever that people are going to bring up. But uh, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of real shitty ones, too, that people are going to give us that are yeah, yeah, going to be very good. wrong. But that's all right. We, we like those, too. So. How about Progress 13 and Devitt showing up? And you, you're not wrong. Away? That That's a huge, huge – that kickstarted that entire – you know, that's a great poll. I'm glad you brought that one up because that's one that I'm sure people are going to bring up. That was – a lot of people, myself included, our entry into the entire European wrestling scene. And that scene, I mean, had there not been, you know, some, some things that occurred in the last year or two or so, uh, that scene was on its way to becoming, like, huge. And it was, I mean, it was huge for its time. And, and obviously, it, it it completely changed how WWE does business and how a lot of companies do business. So, um, no, absolutely, absolutely got to bring that one up, for sure. Yeah. I think that one, too, what was cool is it, it really ushered in a new era of kind of distribution as well of, of, of pro wrestling because that I remember being like the first match that like a company was like, look, here's this great match and we're just going to put it on YouTube, so just go consume it. And it's, here, it's, it's here's bizarre our in that big, way. Yeah, here's our biggest and most marketable thing that could potentially make us the most money, but we're going to give it away for free 
and it ended up being a brilliant idea. You know, so um, from that perspective, what I would like to hear from the listeners is an area that we're not real strong in. I want to hear the lucha moments of the decade because I can't. I've been trying to think of one, and I, I honestly I can't come up with one. It's not our lane, obviously. But um, if anyone has some examples uh, from the world of lucha during the last decade, I'd be interested in hearing those. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. There's probably some other, uh, you know, ones that different regions or whatnot people can tell us ones that really stand out. But yeah, it's it's, it's good stuff. It's it's a good decent thought experiment. I'm not trying to like come with up with a definitive answer, but it was. Uh, yeah, I don't know why I just got real like retrospective <laughs> for a little while. While I was watching that match, being like, man, this is it's pretty interesting. Yeah. How one little thing, one little moment can kind of spawn all these different things and, and, and yeah it's a, it's a fun little exercise to have so yeah at Voices Wrestling on Twitter uh, or the Voice Wrestling Discord voiceofwrestling.com slash Discord uh, as well if you want to know about any moments or, or, or matches or events or, or stories or whatever that, that really you think define this decade uh, in wrestling but uh, we got a lot to talk about with current wrestling 2019 wrestling things that are coming on this weekend but before we do that Joe we do want to let people know about our sponsor this week it is the return of Manscaped, Joe. Manscaped is back sponsoring the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. And man, do we want to talk about our balls. I, I'm always willing to talk about my balls. When do I – when am I not willing to talk about my balls? <laughs> sure, right? you got big – like – so So we got some intel. We, we kind of previewed this a little bit last week. But we said we weren't going to go all the way with it. We wanted to kind of tease it a little bit. A little teaser is what they call it in the radio. But, but what, what we did is we, we talked about that I – you, me – and the TLB kind of talked about your balls for about 20 minutes or so before we recorded last week's show. And we got some great intel about that. I'm going to let you tell the story there because I don't want to put words in anyone's mouths or whatever. But uh, this was interesting stuff that we heard that that Manscaped is helping you, Joe. It is helping you in a big, big way because the TLB is noticing something these days. You wouldn't even believe it. As we're doing this ad, TLB walks down the stairs wearing a Manscaped t-shirt. Unbelievable. Uh, that, yeah, I gave him a show my Manscaped a, t-shirt too. That was that's That is a shoot. I, I I swear to God, come over here, sit down. Come here, come here, come over here and sit down. <laughs> uh oh, right here, sit right here. She chose. She could have walked in any time in the last hour. She chose right this minute to walk in. Yeah. Unbelievable. Slide over, honey. There you go. Now listen, we talked about this last week, but it was off the air. We're doing the actual ad read as we speak. Now, previous to Manscaped, I had tremendous balls. Isn't that right? Go ahead. I mean, honestly, right? I mean, this is this is a shoot now. Tremendous, tremendous balls, absolutely. Now, since Manscaped, you have commented that my balls are just smell tremendous, isn't that right? That is true. It is true. Yes. So, although I've been more like you're like here, it's only balls. Right. I'm like, (laughs) yeah. I I, I get down there and I smell. Right. So. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's a testimony. That is a testimonial. Like, well, there's nothing we can say. Like, well, you, you and I, we can talk about. It. We're of course going to say, "Oh, this they're sponsoring us." We're going to say, "Oh, this is good." All the equipment right there. That is a testimonial right there about the balls. Yeah, there you go. That is straight from the source. And for all the men listening out there, your wives as well will tell you that your balls are tremendous if you use these Manscaped products. One thing that she noticed, uh, and, and and she mentioned this last week, did she just storm out of the room there? Is that the door that I heard? No, she's, she's still, still here. Okay, right okay. Here. So this is an interesting tidbit that that she mentioned last week that I don't know if she remembers, and you can you can relay this to her. I don't know if she can she can hear whatever, but she mentioned that like previous to Manscaped, like and and she mentioned this in past relationships and all this sort of stuff, is that like you don't really notice the balls unless 
they're right. really really bad or really really good. Right. And you know, otherwise they're just an ex- they're kind of there, they're along for the ride. They're obviously not the, the the main event or whatever. They're just there. It's the balls or whatever. But gotcha. there's there's other things you care about. There's other things you worry about or whatever. But I, I liked her point there that like you you know about the balls in two different ways. If they're horrendous and they're bad and they smell and they stink and they look right. like garbage. Or if they're tremendous, if they're well shaved, they smell good, they got conditioner on there, they got the crop preserver, they got that sort of stuff on there. And she said that she started noticing that yours were on the on the plus side there. Not 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 bad, but tremendous. <laughs> like tremendous. I, I I thought that was an interesting tidbit there. So there's there's a lot of guys out there that are sitting there with just inconspicuous balls, just wandering around there with just balls that don't matter. Make your balls matter. Make the make the the, the partner in your life recognize those balls, man. You know what I'm saying? Make your balls matter. Absolutely. What Rich was bringing up was the anecdote from last week where you said, hey, listen, most of the time as women, unless your balls are absolutely horrendous, we don't even notice your balls. It's just an extra thing that we don't. But with the Manscaped, you notice the balls. They look good. They smell good. Absolutely. Right. Of course. Of course. See, of course. Of course. And and let this be known. Do not neglect your balls. And why is it important not to neglect your balls? There, there you oh, go. Wow. Okay. So yeah, if maybe the lady in your life isn't, uh, or the, you know, whoever the, the partner in your life isn't giving you enough attention, it's probably because your balls stink or they're they're inconspicuous. So okay. And one more. What I I swear to God, what what shirt are you wearing right now? Uh, manscaped, and your balls will thank you. I'm sleeping in it tonight because what's better than a nice big t-shirt to sleep in? Yeah. Perfect. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. You're free to go. TLB, incredible. Nicely done. You can't pay for that. I mean that that's you know. Yeah. That's that's perfect. Yeah, I, I mean give, they are paying. They are paying. I mean they, they are, but you know that's, that's they are. But, but that's still. I mean that that's genuine. There. That's you know that you've said the TLV has never wanted to come onto the show. Never wanted to talk. Never. You know. No. She was she was free and ready to talk about the balls. There. That that was that that's testimonial more than anything. Yeah. That, very shy around the microphone, but somehow I got her to talk about my balls. That's so incredible. Good stuff there. But uh, yeah, I like, I like the Manscaped t-shirt. They gave us a, I like how she said a nice big shirt. Cause that's, that's why I gave it to Michelle too. Cause they they sent me like a medium and I was like, okay, no, that's not going to work. And I gave it to Michelle and she, yeah, she just sleeps in it. That's, that's her, her new sleep shirt. So thank you, Manscaped. So that's right. So. Anyway, Joe, tell us about Manscaped a little bit more. So here's the deal. Okay. You get 20% off and free shipping with the code VOW. You got to go to manscaped.com. That's 20% off with the free shipping at manscaped.com if you use code VOW. Join the other dudes helping themselves, okay, with Manscaped with this special offer. And it's just for our listeners. And like TLB said, listen, you, you, you got it straight from the source. Ladies like well-groomed balls. So you guys listening out there, get 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped.com, that's right. Manscaped is offering our listeners 20% off and free shipping. To get yours, you go to Manscaped.com, use promo VOW. Again, Manscaped.com, promo VOW, get you 20% off and free shipping. That's Manscaped.com, promo code VOW. Incredible stuff there. All right, let us get to uh, this Kind of the news and notes uh, of of the week before we get to uh, Survivor Series and, and, and take over in the WWE weekend. So one thing we want to mention as well, voicewrestling.com slash Patreon, you have a new series there 
uh, the news roundups, which I think are, are, are pretty nice, pretty nice, good tidbits. I, I've really enjoyed listening to them as well. It's something we've kind of wanted to do for a while as well. But you did a Monday and a Wednesday news roundup, which essentially is, hey, what's going on with the news? What's the latest in the wrestling? And a little bit of previews of the shows coming up. Do you want to talk a little bit about those before we kind of get into the news? And, and you've touched on both of these things as well in these new round, news roundups, but we have some new info uh, that we're going to kind of add to a little bit. But I, I really think those are, are, are awesome assets to the, uh, the Patreon. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, behind the paywall, uh, a few times a week. This week I did one on Monday. I did one on Wednesday. I think the regular schedule is going to look something like uh, uh, maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, maybe Monday, Friday. I haven't decided. But it's just, just news roundups, not necessarily exclusive news, but news roundups, which is just a collection of what's going on in the world of wrestling over over the course of a couple of days and they can get you all caught up. So I've been busy with work, busy taking care of some other things in uh, anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. I'll catch you up on everything that's going on with a little bit of the trademark voices of wrestling uh, commentary that goes along with some of the stories and, and whatnot as well. These aren't just dry news reads. Okay. I am going to give some, some opinions and some takes on some things, but it's not meant to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, a mini flagship, and it's also not meant to be just a dry news read. It falls somewhere in between. Okay, I'm going to catch you up on everything that's going on. I'm going to sprinkle in a little bit of opinion, and I'm going to get you all caught up. So that'll be on the five dollar tier, Patreon.com/slash Voices of Wrestling. Uh, there's a couple of them up there now. If you uh, want to listen and get an idea, I mean, obviously it's old news now. It's like reading a newspaper three days later. But just to give you an idea of what they're like and uh, and what you're going to get a couple of times a week with that. So we want to touch on right now something that you addressed in the Wednesday news roundup, but we've had a little bit of extra details on as well. Uh, and that's the Jim Cornette situation. So if people aren't aware of what happened uh, with the Jim Cornette situation, I don't know that we necessarily – I think most people listening to this probably know, uh, but he had a horrible, horrible comment, a horrible, horrible uh, joke that he gave on this week's uh, joke. And I, I'm using air quotes there, by the way, for, uh, for joke. Uh, but really horrendous stuff that he did on the NWA show this week. Uh, of course, that's a tape show, which makes it even worse is that nobody decided to edit it out. Nobody decided, hey, look, this doesn't sound very good. Maybe we can you know, work this thing out of the show or, or somebody there. There, didn't tag that and say, okay, make sure we edit that thing out because that can't go live. Well, it went live, it posted, and yeah, the feedback was 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 pretty harsh. And this was the time, and, and, and you mentioned this as well on that Wednesday News Roundup, that Cornette on a daily, weekly, whatever basis says shit that is borderline offensive, borderline terrible, borderline awful or whatever. But this one crossed it a, a whole new line, and, and you kind of said you weren't sure how he was going to survive it. A lot of other people were like, dude, this might be... This is a little too much. I mean, this is beyond normal Cornette, roll your eyes, oh my God, what an asshole, into like outward racism, outward just like completely out of touch 2019, you know, completely out of touch in 2019, I should say. Um, and we did find out that he did resign from the NWA. They obviously uh, pulled the video, re-edited it. Uh, I think it is now up in full form without the Jim Cornette, uh, uh, that line in there. But obviously he, he resigns from NWA. He is probably going to be, he's going to be no part of them, uh, moving forward. But, you know, there's still some episodes in the can and he's still going to be a part of the show, you know, for, for the next, you know, this particular season or whatever, this is the rest of the season. So, uh, what do you make of, of, of now this update of, of Jim Cornette now officially being done with NWA as a result of, of everything that happened with this, uh, this terrible, terrible joke? Yeah, I said it on the news update, um, you know, about 12 hours before the news came down that he was out, but that this was finally something that he could not survive. This was uh, beyond the pale uh, for a lot of people, and he wasn't going to survive this one. And, you know, I woke up this morning and, uh, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, found out that, that he was gone. And it was the right decision. They had to get rid of him. Uh, I said that behind the paywall as well. It was, uh, 
this one he wasn't going to look. Here's the thing, it, it, you know, this particular line that he used, and I, you know, I, I don't have my notebook in front of me. I'll paraphrase it, but he basically said that Trevor Murdoch is uh, is the only guy he knows who could uh, strap a bucket of fried chicken to his back and ride a motor scooter through Ethiopia. Okay, now. 99.9% of people listening to this know the enormous problem with that joke, you know, as, as soon as you hear it. This is a joke that he's used twice before on the air. He used it in 1986 to describe Big Bubba Rogers uh, during a promo on 605. He used it again in 1990. What year was the Lawrence Taylor WrestleMania? Uh, 95, 95. So he used it, what, nine years later? on WWF television to describe Lawrence Taylor as he was attempting to put over Lawrence Taylor and get the Lawrence Taylor Bam Bam Bigelow match over during the build to WrestleMania. He used that line to describe Lawrence Taylor. And then we have some, I guess what, 24 years later, he's busting it out again this time to describe Trevor Murdoch. It's a line that he uses to describe wrestlers who he's trying to get over as double tough or what have you. The problem is, and is often the problem with Cornette, is a lot of his references and a lot of his jokes are extremely, extremely dated, okay? And, uh, you know, they fall into the dad-slash-uncle, in this case, racist-uncle category. And, and you know, in, in this case, a lot of our younger listeners may not even understand, the Ethiopian famine was an enormous story 35 years ago. But who the fuck would remember? Like, anyone under 40 is going to have trouble remembering that. Okay, we're talking about... A famine that took place almost four decades ago. And during the 80s, okay, Ethiopian jokes were like a thing. It was like a, it was a hacky joke that every fucking open micer did in comedy clubs. They'd have an Ethiopia bit, you know, because, uh, you know, and, and there was the whole USA for Africa thing. And, and what was the, uh, what was we the are song? the world. We are the yeah, world. And yeah, yeah, they, yeah. If people remember we are the world, that was all because of the Ethiopian famine. I mean, it was a, it was a huge thing in the 80s. And Cornette's references are still stuck in the 80s. He first used this bit in 1986 at the height of the famine and the height of all of this. Okay, the, the, the thing is, if he had simply done a famine joke. Do they know it's Christmas, too? Also references is, is as we enter the holiday season and you hear that. Do they know it's Christmas song? That is in reference to the uh, the famine as well. So, yeah. So it's like if he had simply done a famine joke, especially a famine that took place four decades ago. <laughs> probably would have survived this you would have had your ultra wokes and your super wokes who would have said oh you can't make light of a famine fire jim Cornette, right but reasonable minded people would just roll their eyes and say "Eh, it's a stupid dated joke who gives a shit right especially stupid too because ethiopia i believe is the largest economy in africa (laughs) or the largest economy in east africa so it's like that's how dated the joke it's so dated that ethiopia has turned it around and now become like an economic superpower in in east africa so yeah it's it's that's how horribly dated it is and Richard, this is why you haven't heard an Ethiopia joke in, in 30 fucking years because they don't make sense anymore, okay? And it's like if it had just been that, it wouldn't even rank as one of the 10 worst things that Jim Cornette has said this year, if, uh, making a famine joke for a famine that took place 40 years ago. The problem, obviously, was using fried chicken in reference to an uh, – uh, you know, in, in conjunction with an African nation. And the obvious connotations and stereotypes that go along with that. Okay, if Jim Cornette had said that Trevor Murdoch was riding through Ethiopia with a pizza strapped to his back, he'd have a job today. Right, a pork chop. He'd probably have a job. He wouldn't have a job next week when he said something else stupid. 
because this was going to happen either way with Jim Cornette eventually. Okay, they were already they already were forced to release statements on Cornette a couple of weeks ago and say that he was on the last straw. Okay, but the fact of the matter is Jim Cornette, and he likes to call everybody else stupid. I saw his statement today where he said, "Ah, this is another product of stupidity." Be sure to listen to me and the great Brian Last, and you know he wants to pop a number on his podcast later this week, as he's going to tell all of us how stupid we are for not understanding that this was a famine joke. Here's the thing, Jim: we understand it was a famine joke. We also understand that it was a fried chicken joke, and that's the problem here. Okay, you're too stupid to understand that you can't make fried chicken cracks in relation to African people. And if you can't understand why, then not only do you not deserve to work for the NWA, you never deserve to work in wrestling again. And it's so beyond the pale and over the top. And he calls everyone else stupid, but how dumb is he to think that people aren't call- – how – he had – Rich, he had 33 years to change the food item on the wrestler's back to something non-offensive. And he could have gotten away with this dopey dad joke, which isn't even funny to begin with. Yeah, it's, it's a stupid joke too. And, and like you said, yeah, all you have to do is find – I mean, find a not racially insensitive food item that you can attribute to a nation of people. Like, he had a lot of choices <laughs> here. As you said, pizza, pork chops, uh, whatever. Yeah, like any any meatloaf, Eat anything. Something. Yeah, <laughs> like make pumpkin, up a fucking food pumpkin item. Pie, fucking, uh, you know, whatever. Chicken turkey, cordon turkey. Blue. It's Thanksgiving. Fucking, turkey, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, for God's sake, how does he not see the connection between fried chicken and, a, and an African country? How does he not see that? And he's calling other people stupid? Is this guy for real? So, I mean, you know. Look, I already spoke at length about it behind the paywall. I'm not going to repeat all of my same talking points, but uh, I don't know if you have anything else to add on Cornette. But, you know, obviously there's other people at NWA, in my view, that are culpable here. So do we have anything else on Cornette? Or can yeah, we just nothing re- else really on Cornette, but I think, I, I, yeah, it, whatever. He's an idiot, and, and local idiot says dumb thing again. But like you said, and, and I was I really had the same thought, too, is like, okay, Cornette says dumb shit on a weekly basis. But there is no way he's surviving this thing. And he, and he shouldn't survive this. This is like – and we're not quite – we're not really the call-out show. We're not the fire show. We're not the, oh, my God, this guy is – but it was like – I heard that and I was like, dude, what? Like, get out of here. You're, you're done, man. You're so out of touch. So just just – as you said, stupid. You're so stupid by saying this. Like, what a moron. What an idiot. Like, you don't belong. You don't have. You don't deserve a job anymore. So no. And here's the thing. And no one is going to give him the benefit of the doubt that this was a famine joke, which is going to be his defense. Okay. As we record this, his podcast hasn't come out yet. Okay. By the time some of you listen to this, his podcast may be out. I guarantee you. And I said this behind the paywall. His defense is going to be that it was a famine joke. Right. That you okay. idiots don't even know about the famine, or I grew up in this era, and this was the big deal here. And you know, yeah, it, it's. But, but 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 here's the thing. It's like no one is going to give him the benefit of the doubt on that because Rich, this isn't his first, second, third, fifth. Right. If this is the fifth. first bad thing he'd, if Moro Niles made this joke on Takeover. Yes. People would say, fuck, Morrow, that's a terrible joke, man. You know why that's not good, right? And he would probably say, oh, my God, I can't believe that I said that. Or, and and there might there are going to be people that are saying, I fire Morrow, do all that sort of stuff. But reasonable people are probably going to say, dude, bad joke. Put that one in the holster. Like, yeah, that is done. And and, and apologize and, and, and move on from good, this moment. But, yeah, move give us on. A good, give us a good, contrite, sincere apology. And you've never fucked up before. And, yeah, but did, no one's going to give Jim Cornette the benefit Hell of the doubt. Because he's, he's had how many of these? Rich, he's had one, basically one a week over the last few weeks. He had the thing with, with Riho and Emmy. 
Okay, he had the thing with telling the person to hang themselves. He had the thing with, um, and I'm forgetting some. I mean, oh, um, and that's just like the last four weeks. I mean, this is what like, I mean, like, he, he's basically averaging one a week. You know, over the last couple of weeks, you know, it, it's, and I know I'm forgetting a couple. You know, that are just slipping my mind in the moment. But it's like, um, you know, it's constant with him. And and the fact of the matter is, it's like had they not gotten rid of him, aside from the bad PR, Rich, he's going to do it again. This 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 guy has a just a long history of this, and it's it's not going to change. And he's and and odds are, if you keep him around, he may even say something worse, you know. So and, and you never get an apology out of him or anything even resembling an apology. That's the other thing. I mean, he's not going to apologize on this podcast. He's already being defensive about it. So, uh, but but here's the thing, Rich. How does it get on air? Well, and that's the thing. Like we're we're, we're and and that's where the the thing that. I, I want to get at a little bit more is is I I am f- stunned that this thing that was in the can a month ago two months ago I forget what exactly when they taped this that nobody put a check mark next to this that that even Joe Galley his, his his partner doesn't go ooh whoa hold on a minute <laughs> like stop the tape what whoa like maybe let's not do that like but even then he's caught up in the moment he's doing his thing or whatever that's fine there are people that were there in production listening to it on commentary that said oh, okay no didn't say whoa whoa, whoa hold on whoa, whoa, stop everything stop the tapes. What did you just say, Jim? No, 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 no. Record that back. Whatever. It's a tape show in front of a studio audience. You could do that. That's just in the moment. That's just in the production as it's happening. That doesn't count then the people that go back later and edit this thing and put it all together and add the commentary to the the video and add all this. And nobody, nobody in this time decided, ooh, I don't know. Maybe not this one. (laughs) You know, whoever's in charge of this, who's ever doing the editing, whatever. It's just I, I can't fathom how they didn't hear this and go, oh, this isn't good. Let's get this out of here. That that's the part is that I just cannot understand. I mean, there are times on this show I, I'll admit that we, we say stuff that is nowhere near in the stratosphere that I go, ah, you know what? Maybe I, and and it doesn't happen often. It happens like once a year or whatever that I go back after the show and go, ah, you know what? Let's just cut. There's no point in that even being a part of the show or whatever. And it's it's nothing anywhere near this bad. It's just something that I'm like, ah, you know what? Whatever. Like I I just don't want whatever we said to to to, to get misconstrued the wrong way or whatever and trust got- me trust me when i say that it's almost always rich wildly overreacting but just erring on the side of course exactly. it's some dumb thing that no one's going to care about no one's going to notice but i'm sitting in bed going ah you know what i could have said that instead of that or whatever so so i edit it but it, it's never anything anywhere in the same stratosphere as this and I still right. think about it and toss and turn as I go to bed after the show and then inevitably just either edit it in the morning or, or sometimes I forget about it and post it. And no one's ever noticed it. It's never been a big deal. It's, but it's, it's just dumb stuff that I'm like, ah, I don't know. Is, is that going to be taken the wrong way? The idea that this, this line was not taken the wrong way by anybody in that production, anybody live, anybody listening, anybody editing is just I, I, I can't even I, I can't even understand it. I, I just it, it's, it's unfathomable to me. Look, Lagana's got to catch that. He has to. He has to catch it. And, and and they didn't. And they possessed the ability to scrub it because the new version of the show that went up didn't cut a single moment of video off of the show. They simply scrubbed those 10 seconds of audio off of the audio track. Um, so they possessed the ability. And, and, you know, they had the show back up within, I think, two hours. I think it took 90 minutes and um, about 90 minutes or two hours. And they had the show up with that line removed, but the match intact, there was just no commentary for about 15 seconds while Cornette was saying the line. Um, so, I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta catch that. And, you know, with Cornette gone, it's like, 
I don't know what they do with the stuff they have in the can. You know, it, it's it's do you just air them as is with Cornette? You can't just scrub him and have Joe Galley talking to himself. Do you reshoot all of the commentary with Joe? But the problem is you have stand-ups with those two guys. Yeah, no, that's – I mean, they're, they're, well, comment- I mean, the whole point of the NWA is that, like, the wrestlers come over to the commentary table. Yeah. There's, there's too much interaction. It's too small of a room to do that. So you're going to see him for the duration of this – of whatever they have left. I don't know how many episodes they even have left in the can. But you can't get rid of him. You can't remove them from those. So they're going to face a whole nother round of criticism next week from people who don't understand that this was taped, you know, a million years in advance. And I'm not even saying, you know, that's wrong. You know, you it's not on the consumer to understand your taping schedule. And do you, you understand what I'm saying? It's like, so, the, you know, this isn't going to go away because people are going to turn on power next week and Cornette's going to be on. And, this is all going to be relitigated again. Ah, I thought you fired this guy. I thought he was gone. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And right. Yeah. People aren't going to understand how the show is structured and think, Oh my yes. God, they brought Jim Cornette back. And it's like, no, they didn't. It's, it's yeah. This is, this is why you just be smart and, and, and take this line out before, because now, yeah, you got to eat shit for the next few weeks here and, and, and try to figure out what the hell to do. Yeah. This is going to be ugh, boy. <laughs> That's, I didn't even think of like that. People that don't know how this show is structured or don't know that this is taped months in advance. It's going to re that, that thing's going to get reignited every single week now until it's over. Yeah. And to make matters worse, less than 24 hours earlier, you've got Lagana, uh, quote, tweeting a very questionable uh, tweet thread uh, from uh, God Saad. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but he's one of these, you know, intellectual dark web philosopher types who, you know, at, at best, it was a very questionable series of tweets. And at worst, it was flat out white supremacy. So, um, you know, Lagana quote tweeted that and sort of endorsed it with a series of emojis and he quickly deleted it. Okay. So, you know, we talk about benefit of the doubt. Maybe he didn't initially understand the tweets at first or misread them, or maybe he just figured, ah, you know, the message here is questionable. People might take me the wrong way. Whatever the case may be, he quickly deleted his quote tweet. But then 24 hours later, he's got his wrestling commentator out there making a racist joke which he was responsible for editing, which makes this all the more messier. So they've got a giant mess on their hands here. Okay, where two of the most prominent employees of this promotion are in hot water over, uh, you know, questionable, uh, uh, you know, behavior or whatnot over over the course of two days. And the person who is in charge of putting out the cornet fire is was in trouble himself 24 hours earlier. Yeah, it's it's been a bad it's been a bad few days uh for those guys which which yeah, it it's it, and and the worst part about this too and well not the worst part about it but but a part that just annoys me too and we talk about it on a on a weekly basis too with whether it's off the air or you know on Twitter or whatnot is that Cornette if he wasn't just such a fucking idiot would be such a tremendous asset to wrestling. Because he's a really good commentator and he's got a great mind, but he's just the dumbest fucking human being. And he's just so he's just an idiot. He's just a giant for someone who moron. calls everybody it, else stupid. He completely lacks. Uh, he doesn't. It's just he's so tone deaf, and he lacks self awareness. And I don't know what the deal is there because he is clearly an intelligent man, but he it seems that he lacks common sense. He's totally tone deaf. Maybe he's just 
got enough money to where he truly doesn't give a fuck with anybody thinks about anything and it just just rotted his brain and he doesn't fucking care. But if that were the case, wouldn't he come out on his podcast and just say, hey, look, I told a racist joke and that's okay." But he's not going to do that. He's going to frame it as everybody misunderstanding him. So I don't even think it's that. I don't know what his deal is. Yeah, I'm not sure either. It, it, Here's it's what half I know, like though, shock jockey. I think there's a lot of that aspect of, of his, you know, saying things. But then I also think he just says stuff and doesn't really think about it as well. I, I don't know. I can't I can't even fathom getting in the mind of, of, of a Jim Cornette. So here's the, here's the bottom line. Jim Cornette at this point is not worth the trouble. No, that's the bottom God, line. no, he's not worth the trouble and he's unemployable. That's the bottom line. Now. Um, so. I don't expect to see him back with MLW. I don't know if he was ever going to go back to MLW anyway uh, before any of this. He's obviously done with the NWA. And where else is there to turn? AEW will never use him. And he's never going back to the WWE. He's done. He's done in pro wrestling. So people who have wanted that, you've got it now. Okay? But here's the thing. Now it's on you to avoid him. Don't listen to his podcast. and, And don't you know, uh, don't cast a spotlight on him if you're sick of him. Put your money where your mouth is now. Right. Because, Rich, when his podcast hits this week, all of these people who are happy that Cornette's gone and are sick of hearing about Cornette are going to be tweeting about his podcast. You know it. Okay, and I get it. This week it's it's newsworthy. And, yeah, you're look, I'm going to listen. I want to hear what he has to say. Okay? But after that, if you don't want Cornette to exist – look – Everyone else has finally given up on him. Now, if you don't want to hear from this guy or you don't want him to be part of the discourse anymore, you can control that now because his only outlet is his podcast. And you are in total control of whether you consume that or not. And, 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 and you are in total control of whether you discuss that with people or not, even if you do consume it. So now there's like no more excuses. You've successfully eliminated this guy from wrestling. You know, he's finally gone, you know, and, and you can you can make sure it stays that way by simply ignoring. And that's what something you've been preaching for for years. Just ignore the guy. But it's a little harder when he's out there doing commentary on a show you like. For that's, sure. That, right. Right. That was the tricky part. But now that part's eliminated. Yeah, people can't help themselves. I mean, and, and that, that comes with a lot of guys. There's, you know, <laughs> your Brad Shepherds of the world and your whoever's of the world. Like everybody, they, they just they. They love the the idea of of dunking on this guy or calling him stupid. That's exactly what they want. It's the old Skip Bayless thing. By everybody saying how stupid Skip Bayless was, he basically parlayed that into becoming one of the biggest you know personalities in sports media because every single week he said something dumb or every single day he said something dumb and a bunch of people said, oh my god, listen to what Skip Bayless said. He's so dumb. And everybody would watch the show to watch Skip Bayless say something dumb and then Skip Bayless ended up becoming one of the most powerful guys in sports media. It's the same. Shock jocks all have, have been doing this for years and years as well. Stephen A. Smith in sports media as well as another guy who just says shit and people go oh my god can you believe he said this shit he's so wrong he's so stupid but like all you're doing is inflating their worth inflating the the reach or whatever and this happens every single week with Cornette is we have Cornette this is podcast a bunch of news sites say hey Cornette said this stuff and a bunch of people say oh my god I can't believe Jim Cornette said this this week on his show or whatever or they quote Tina Jim Cornette thing and go Jim you're so wrong you're such an idiot you don't know anything about wrestling and and it goes down to the wrestlers too it goes to your Joey Ryans your your, your Young Bucks and all these guys of like oh Jim you're so out of touch you're so stupid or whatever just fucking ignore the guy just don't quote tweet him don't talk about his podcast you don't have to listen to him you don't have to click on his tweets you don't have to follow him you can block him 
You cannot listen to the podcast. You cannot click the articles and talk about them. If you don't want to deal with Jim Cornette, you don't have to. But people still, people just can't resist the argument, the dunk, the whatever, and 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 just be smarter about this because all you're doing is inflating these guys' words. And now you've you've created a monster in Jim Cornette who every single week, and if you go to his YouTube page, he knows it. He knows goddamn well what drives money to his podcast because every single week there's a snippet of the dumbest shit that Jim Cornette said this week on his podcast is there ready for you on a YouTube video every single week and they know ahead of time what the dumb shit that everyone's going to get nuts about too because it's, it's coordinated you know what I mean like I'm sure I don't know if they say hey Jim say this before the show but I think Brian or whoever or Jim himself go oh wow yeah that's going to get people all riled up cool and and the second that podcast drops go to his YouTube page and there's a perfect Easily to consume snippet of the dumbest shit that he said this week. Ready for you. And go to those videos, Joe. They have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of views. And he's probably making a lot of money off those as well. Just stop. Just you don't have to do that. Yeah, I mean, and you can even listen to his show if you want to hear him talk about Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And you can just not spotlight the other stuff. You know, the, 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 the one dumb thing he says per episode or whatever, or, um, you know, if he says something questionable. I mean, you could even if, – if you want to respect his historical knowledge and listen to his show and, and have him tell stories about the Midnight Express and, and uh, you, know, uh, you know, Wild Times in Tuscaloosa, Alabama and uh, working for Bill Watts or whatever the fuck, you can do that. You can even do that much and ignore the rest and not cast a spotlight on it and uh, let everybody know what, what, what you know – dumb thing that he said this time you, you know it's 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 on us now because he doesn't have a platform other than his own <sighs> yeah so that's that so yeah d- d- disappointing few weeks here for nwa uh, unfortunately but yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be weird next week having to watch that show and 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 knowing that cornet's on there because yeah i'm not gonna it, it's it's gonna be weird and every week it's gonna get relitigated until yeah how many episodes do they have left i know their pay-per-views what December fourteenth. Yeah, so maybe not a few, not that many. Well, still what four or five left to go at this point. Still. Um, hold, hold, three, hold four, on. I think maybe. I don't know if we have the exact number. Well, um, you, you can't even do the math. Yeah, it's December fourteenth. Today is as we record this. It's the there are how many Tuesdays? There's the twenty sixth of November. There is the third of December. There is the tenth of the. Okay, so there's three more Tuesdays before the pay per view. But I did also hear Lagana say at one point that there aren't necessarily fresh episodes of Power right up until the pay-per-view. There may be a week or two of like um, highlight shows or hype shows for the pay-per-view in lieu of fresh contents. Got it. Okay. So uh, we don't know the answer. They say he said – because he said this when he was on with uh, with uh, Meltzer and it was either Garrett Gonzalez or – I think it was Garrett Gonzalez. It was either Garrett Gonzalez or Jim Valley. It wasn't Alvarez. That doesn't even matter. The point is he said that they were chopping up the content as they were going along, so they don't even know if they're going to have – point is you got three more episodes of stuff that's going to have Cornette on it until the pay-per-view on the 14th and then the tapings in the ensuing days after that. I sure hope somebody in that office is going back and watching those episodes right now just to make sure that they're – because I'm sure there's something else in there that you can probably – or do they just say, fuck it, everyone hates us anyway? Well, here's the thing. Nothing for nothing – if something else really bad comes out of Cornette's mouth in the next three weeks, Dave Lagana has to go because now he has had his chance. Like Cornette made his mistake and they put out the statement and said, we're not going to tolerate it. And then they got rid of him on the next one. Right now. Lagana has made his mistake. 
I, I don't know if you can let him. If Cornette says something silly in two weeks on the show again, how can he keep his job? Well, yeah, because now it's like, all right, dude, like if you got three, four, whatever it is, sit down and watch every second of those shows and go, mm, eh, you know what I mean? Like, and, and if it is that easy to edit them, which I imagine they're just audio tracks on top of video tracks, it's probably not. Rich, it took 90 minutes. Right, and they exactly. didn't even chop any video. It's just they took off that the 10 seconds of yeah, audio. It's, track. it's, it's two, two button clicks and it's gone and then a re-render or whatever and you're ready to go. So, yeah, I, I'd imagine, I would hope, I would really be disappointed if they, yeah, if if if, if Lagana or whoever's in NWA doing the editing doesn't sit down and, and and listen to all those shows and make sure that there's nothing in there because yeah, it, it, it even stuff that's close, even stuff that kind of toes the line, you you gotta just you gotta be better because people are gonna be there's gonna be a microscope on every single line that he says for the next yeah he's, he's on the show for three more weeks people are gonna be listening to that with fucking with their ears up to the speakers waiting for him to to. to to, to say something awful so you know you're gonna have a you're gonna have a microscope on you now on top of everything else so and it, it you know i don't have the statement in front of me but the statement did say that they're you know reevaluating the way that they uh they edit their content something along those mm-hmm. lines so and you had to say you know there had to be something in there and that's the second statement this is the statement that was released on wednesday morning the same statement where they announced Cornette had um resigned uh, they announced that uh, they were reevaluating the way that they they uh, they edit. Or I'm paraphrasing, but there was a bit in there about that. Uh, now let's get to our other little bit of news here before we talk about uh, the two shows this weekend, the two big shows this weekend. Is the CM Punk return uh, to WWE? We talked about that last week as he was going to appear on WWE backstage. Uh, his appearance did happen. We're recording this on a Wednesday. It happened last night, and we got the numbers in and the rating. I mean, he was what an eighty percent growth. Week over week. Well, yeah, 80% growth went from 49,000 to, what, 180,000 uh, this week. So not really, like, a huge, huge number. But I would say an 80% growth week to week, largely probably based on this guy's appearances, is, is something that's pretty significant, even if it is only, you know, up to 1,800. What, what do you make of – or uh, 180,000, I should say. Uh, what do you make of, of, of Punk's thing? And did you watch the WWE Backstage uh, segments with Punk yet? Yeah, I watched it. FS1, any network is going to take 80% growth week after week. They opened up at 49,000 viewers. The next week, they did 100,000 viewers. And this week with Punk, they did 180,000 viewers for his debut. So yeah, 80% growth over last week for a show that opened up at 49,000 viewers. I mean, look, FS1 has to be pleased with that. And FS1 is a network that doesn't do any fucking viewers unless they have a game on. I mean, that you know, the games are always going to do well, whether it's Big East basketball or whether it's ML, uh, you know, Major League Baseball when it's on FS1 or when they've got soccer. That stuff's going to draw because people are always going to show up for games. The rest of the programming on FS1, it's been a constant struggle since they rolled the network out. So right, there was those Canadian up. dudes. I forget what their names were. They did that studio show for a while. Um, yeah. yeah, and they, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and then, then they rebranded every. They they totally uh, ripped it up and started over. Um, uh, you, you know, when the initial rollout didn't work out, and 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 just to give perspective, their afternoon stuff where they've got um, they've got the uh, Colin Cowards, the Herd, which is a simulcast of the radio show uh, that usually does the most viewers on a given day, a little under two hundred thousand viewers a day, just to give you an idea, right around what. Um, what this WWE show did at 11 o'clock at night. You've got the Jason Whitlock show on in the afternoon, Speak for Yourself. They've got their same worked argument shows that ESPN runs. They just have their own versions of them. Uh, they have Undisputed in the morning with, with, with Skip Bayless and, and Shannon Sharp, 
which has been an absolute fucking dud since its inception. They paid Skip Bayless uh, tens of millions of dollars to jump from ESPN, and that show does under 100,000 viewers sometimes. I mean, it's just been a disaster. FS1 just cannot get pe- – Skip Bayless was drawing – you know, a million and a half, two million viewers a day when he was on with Stephen A. Smith on right. Like, yeah, I just referenced him. He was one of the most important yeah. media figures, <laughs> one of the most important sports media figures in the world for a time. But it, it's like FS1 is like people just don't look what happened when SmackDown went to FS1 one week. For whatever reason, people just will not find FS1. On right, it's not like a channel that anybody casually stumbles upon, ever. <laughs> and, and, and forget casually, people don't go out of their way to, to look for it. I mean, look at what happened to SmackDown. You know, that turned out to be a total – or was it SmackDown or, or – yeah, it was SmackDown. No, it was SmackDown. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it was like this perplexing thing that like, you know, and it's kind of funny to watch like, you know, non-sports people try to comprehend it because I, I remember Dave Meltzer just being like, I don't I don't get it. Like, how did they just not like people just didn't find it. But it's like, dude, they don't find it for anything. Like nobody ever finds this channel unless it's like an absolutely big game, which is usually met by, oh, God, this show, this game's on FS1. Fuck. And like, you know, it's yeah. always like this chore, even though it's the easiest thing in the world these days to find a channel. But for whatever reason, there's just like a death sentence with that channel. It's so bizarre. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, they've had trouble drawing viewers. So the point here is the number they did, the 180,000 viewers, is right in the neighborhood of basically the most viewed shows on the networks that aren't games. Okay? So for FS1, to give people perspective, that 180,000 viewers, especially at 11 – because what else are they showing at 11 o'clock at night on FS1 that's going to do 180,000 viewers? It's a pretty solid number for FS1. Here's the thing, though. Can they sustain 180,000 viewers? I say they cannot. First of all, Punk isn't going to be on every week. The show is in L.A. He lives in Chicago. He's not moving to L.A. I think they've already said he's not going to be on every week. So you're only going to get that pop for Punk the the weeks that he's there. The weeks he's not there, I mean, we saw what the show does. They had 49,000 viewers two weeks ago. Okay, so it's like – and then even if he is there – you have to think that this week was the big surge because it was his big debut and people didn't know what they were going to hear. Right. right. Now, that people, now that people have seen him on the show, it was okay and he was fine and he wasn't like an ultimate loose cannon, but he was clearly giving his own opinions. But I'll be honest with you, I have no desire to watch him on there again. It wasn't like he was out there firing cannons. He was shooting pop guns is how I would describe it. Okay. Uh, he ripped the Roman Reigns dog thing and – you know, he ripped a few other things, and he made some wise cracks at Renee. Who's your favorite member of the Shield? And you know, that was a fun moment. And Renee was 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 amazing with it. She looked into the camera and she said, "I like all of them equally," with a big smile on her face. And I chuckled. It was a nice little moment. But nothing happened on that show where I'm like, "Oh my god, I cannot miss this." The next time CM Punk is on it, because this guy might say anything. I didn't get that impression at all. It was essentially exactly what we thought it would be when we talked about it last week. So from that perspective, if a lot of people are looking at it like I am, they're going to do less than that 180 moving forward when he's on the show. Um, You know, if they could sustain the 180 or grow off of that, I think FS1 is going to be very happy with that number at 11 o'clock at night. Really, they'll be happy with that number any time of day for the the lever of viewership they do. But um, but obviously you have to think it's going to it's going to scale back. 
Yeah, and I enjoyed his segment. Like, I watched it, and I was kind of like, ah, this is fun. Like, it's different. Like, you know, it, it, and he's a great talker. He's a guy that no matter what he's saying, it, it, it's entertaining. And, you know, I talked about last week. I was like, ah, fuck this guy. He's, he's you know, disappointed me or whatever. But I was back in. I was laughing at some of the stuff. I'm like, yeah, I, I get why this guy has that pull on, on, on so many wrestling fans and myself included or whatever. And, and, and yeah, he's a charming guy. He had some fun little quips in there, like we said. But it's nothing that's going to be radically, you know, it, it's, it's going to be surface level. The shit that sucks, he's going to say sucks. But that's it. Like, that's all you're going to get out of him and and that's fine like he adds a different element to it and he's obviously you know much more comfortable than a lot of those people in front of a camera and much more comfortable at sort of you know it's saying his opinion and being pretty you know opinionated about certain things or whatnot but yeah at the end of the day it's it's we know what it's going to be and yeah that 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 the charm is going to wear off eventually there and it's just going to be like every week he comes on and says the good stuff's good and the bad stuff's bad and 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 yeah that's that's it is what it is and that's all we're kind of asking him to do and that's all that they're probably asking him to do as well, but yeah, this idea that like he's going to be this like straight shooter every single week is is is, is yeah. I, I I don't know. It was fine, but it's like not a show that I'm ever going to watch again. Like I watched it this week and I was like, okay, cool. Like, but now I'm I'm good. Now if there's a clip and someone says, oh my god, CM Punk said this, like I'll watch it. I'll, I'll but I'm not going to DVR it. I'm not going to watch it every single week. I had to watch this week because I wanted to see it. I wanted to see just how you know what he would do, how they approached it, what they did. But I've seen it. I'm good. I got an idea what he's going to do, and 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 now I'm good for probably ever on WWE backstage. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going to approach it that way. And ultimately, um, he's not – it's not going to make an enormous difference. But I I do think – I saw some people burying this this number that they did. And I don't see how you could bury the number when they had 80% growth. I mean, what did you think it was going to do? Did you think a million people were going to watch this? I mean, it's – you know, I expected them to, you know, at best double what they did the week before. And that's basically what they did. You know, I, I think that was uh, – I think everyone would be pleased with that. Yeah, it's, but, it's a studio show at like a really ridiculous time. Like I forgot how late it was. Like I I, I, I got ready to watch it at like I think what whatever time it was. I think nine or whatever. I was like, okay, here we go. And I'm like, oh my god, this thing's not until like you know 10 or 11. Like what the hell? Like why is this show so late and so weird? It's just like a – it's not a show that I'll ever watch again as well. And I'm sure a lot of people as well that, that – tuned in are probably just like ooh okay like this is this is not really for me i don't know who it's quite for but um i guess that's what punk's there for is to try to attract you know the other type of fan or whatever but i don't know how interested the other type of fan is going to be um yeah and i mean you know and fox put him on colin coward the next day and uh he did a segment on that show and so they're they're putting promotional muscle behind him because i'm sure they're paying him a ton of money and um Everywhere he goes, he stresses that he does not work for WWE. He works for Fox. And we had that whole discussion last week. Um, You know, what are the odds you think that he eventually does say something where Fox gets a phone call? Um, Yeah, I I wonder how hands-on or – this might be one of those properties that they, they might have their hands in so many different things that they just might not care about this one. I find it hard to believe because that's just not the way that company operates ever. But I do wonder if at some point they're just like, whatever, uh, who cares? But they're, they're going to hear about something. Someone's going to – something's going to go through the grave. It's going to come at some point. There's no way that it doesn't come at at, at, at some point with Punk where he's going to say something or say you know, Seth Rollins is an idiot or, or, or something's going to happen. Oh, he said that last night. That's what I mean. Like that leash is, is – is, it exists now, but I, I wonder if it is infinite. Like 
I do think they don't care about that show, but I think at some point someone a memo is going to come across the desk to somebody and say, "Hey, Punk just said that Baron Corbin deserves to get fired or something like that," and 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 he'll get something because I, I I don't I don't buy again. I know he's 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 quick to say, "Oh, I, I haven't even talked to WWE. I don't know anything about WWE." But we know at the end of the day, if WWE you know slips an email to the Fox executives and says, "Hey, uh, tell this guy he can't say this on the show or whatever," that that will trickle down to CM Punk at a certain point too. So um, I don't know. I, I wonder how long it's going to be. I, I I really do. I'm fascinated. That's the only thing I'm really fascinated about the show moving forward is what level of oversight does WWE give to it? Do they truly, for literally the first time in their entire history, just not care and let that stuff go? I doubt it. Like, that's just not what they do. That's never, ever, ever, ever what they've done. Yeah. I You know, so I think at some point, but here's the thing too. How often will be he be put in a position to say something that will get Fox a phone call? And that's – I think that was going to say that's exactly what, what Renee's job is kind of. And, and I thought she did yeah. a tremendous job too of when stuff maybe was slightly getting off the rails, cut it off, boom. Okay, next topic. Let's get back to this or ah, ha, ha, just kind of laugh. Like she was quick to kind of ask the right questions and, and if anything felt for a second like it was going to steer wrong, she was able to kind of lock it down and do that. I'm guessing that anytime you see CM Punk in there, he's going to be accompanied by Renee Young or someone else, someone that's in the company there that's going to kind of control him, cut him off, do whatever. I don't think you're going to get CM Punk with a lone microphone on his own talking. Like there's just I, I, I think they're smart enough to realize that that's not going to happen. Or they'll have Booker next to him and Booker can just loudly yell something right as some punk's about to say something or they'll cut to commercial. I think that they all know, hey, look, this guy's liable to go off at some point. So let's all make sure that we just we, we stop it, it, it before it starts. If, if, well, if he's going to be that way. Well, let me ask you this. Do we know he's liable to go off? Does he know the line that he can walk up to uh, before he potentially blows a very well-paying and easy gig? He, I think he will say that he doesn't know the line or doesn't care about the line, but I think he knows he the knows line the and line. cares about the line. Yes, I agree. Because he wants I that agree. paycheck. So he's and smart. I think he knows. I think he knows he can get away with saying that the angles are dumb, and I think he knows he can get away with telling Seth Rollins basically to kiss off and stop trying to shoot angles with me because I'm never going to wrestle you. I think he knows he can get away with saying those things, and I think he knows he can't get away with coming on the air saying, you know. Survivor Series, not only was it a terrible show, but that full gear, man, that really blew. Like, I think he understands where the line is as well to avoid getting that phone call and blowing this super easy gig that he has. I also find it amusing that he went on the air on this show and then, you know, he goes on Colin Coward's show today and basically admits that he has no idea what's going on in wrestling and hasn't for the last five years. They hired this man as an expert. <laughs> I know. Their studio show. I like that. He got hired, and then he said, "Oh, I've been watching wrestling over the last five years." Like what? (laughs) Yeah, I haven't. I have no idea what's going on in wrestling. I'm trying to catch up, and you know, he even said on the show, he's like, "Wow, man, I don't know anything about Baron Corbin," but and it's like they hired him as an expert. You know, the whole thing is a farce. It's not great. Yeah, if he's if that's truly what if if he's true about that, which I I'm kind of dubious on, but maybe I don't know. It, it, it's tough to you say with him. You think he's being Mister Cool? Like, I, think uh, so. I don't. Even, I don't even watch Baron Corbin matches, I think so. man. I, 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 I would bet that he kept up with some of the stuff, but maybe not. I, I don't know. He's a weird dude. Yeah. I, I, it's impossible I'm to say. Sh- I'm sure he kept up peripherally. Do I think he has the network and he's watching fucking Great Balls of Fire? <laughs> I mean, probably not. Probably not. No. Do, do Do I think he knows who Hangman Page is? That's a tougher one to answer. You know, um, do I believe him when he says he never saw Baron Corbin wrestle? You don't seem to believe him. 
I might believe him on that one. I don't know if he's watching Baron Corbin down card matches. If he is tuning into Raw when he's channel flipping on a Monday night with AJ Lee on the couch. You know what I'm saying? But but yeah, I agree with you. Do I think he has completely ignored wrestling for five? No, I do not. You know, he kind of, he knows who Becky Lynch is. He knows the deal. But um, I don't know. Um, I will never pay attention to it again. The only other time I'll pay attention to this thing is if, what date is it there? Tuesdays? Tuesdays, yeah. We screwed this up last week too. The only time I'll ever pay attention to this thing is like if I wake up on a Wednesday morning and people are tweeting about it and somebody said something and then I'll, you know, it's something I'll DVR and always delete unless people tell me there's something I have to watch. All right, let's move on to the weekend here. We got a four straight shows in my city here in Chicago. I'm going to every single one of them, Joe. SmackDown, <laughs> TakeOver, Survivor Series, and Raw. So I'm going to live at the All-State Arena this weekend. I'm not doing that. Um, we wanted to stall enough to let NXT finish because there's a lot of TBDs, a lot of to be announced on these shows. And we were assuming, hey, well, once NXT is over, they'll announce Team NXT. They'll announce Tommaso Ciampa's fourth. Well, they didn't, so we stalled for nothing. We could have just done this preview before. But uh, did you? they didn't hey, announce I'm, a thing. What? I'm, I'm watching NXT with the sound off as we record. I told you. I said, Joe, can you watch NXT in the background? Because they're probably yeah. going to you know, finish out these TVAs and TVDs or whatever. They're not really announcing anything. I can tell you that the, the ladder match, this Adam Cole, uh, the Djakovic ladder match, they didn't ring the bell until there were seven minutes left in the uh, non-overrun portion of the show. Does that surprise you that they gave them that little time? Uh, it shouldn't, but I guess given that Adam Cole's got a broken wrist and uh, a, a weekend full of bookings, maybe that's for the better. So, I mean, the overrun's listed for eight minutes, so you figure there's a minute of post-match celebration or angle or whatever, and I'm a few minutes behind, so the match is still going on, but that's still, what, about... 13 or 14 minutes for actual ring time. Eh, probably not as bad as I thought, right? You would just think that this match would go a little longer than that. But like you say, he's got a broken wrist. He's got a ladder match on Wednesday. He's got a, um, a war games match on Saturday. And then he's got a title defense on on Sunday. That's some week for a guy with a broken wrist. Yeah, Ugh. And he's taking some bumps in this ladder match, let me tell you. So um, he's out there working hard. Adam Cole always works hard in a big spot. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mentioned this. I tweeted this out a little bit earlier. I'm not, I'm not the biggest Adam Cole fan in the world. But, man, th- this dude is putting together his, his, his resume this year and this weekend is going to be like an all-time gutsy thing where, where he could just as easily, and he probably should, just say, look, dude, no, my wrist is broken. I'm out. But he, it's a big spot, and it's a big moment and a, and, and a big spotlight for him. So he's going out there and doing it. Like. I, I'm better man than me. I wouldn't <laughs> I'd say, fuck no, I got yeah. a broken wrist. Screw you. I don't care. But yeah, you know, more credit to him, man. He's, he's, he, he knows, he understands how big this moment is for, for, for him and for the brand and all that sort of stuff. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, you know, ROH show in Dearborn, Michigan, third from the top. He might lull you to sleep. Um, you know, a TV match here or there. He, you know, you might be like, what's the big deal with this guy? But you put him in a main event, you put him in a big spot. He always works super hard and he always delivers. So, you know, he, he's the kind of guy who um, carefully and meticulously protected his body while he was on the come up. And maybe he's got a few extra bumps in his bump card that other guys who he came up with didn't because he did take it easy in certain spots when other people didn't. But the pattern throughout his whole career is when he was in a big match or an important match, he went out there and, and laid it all on the line. Yeah. You know, so there may have been times where we were a little unfair about Adam Cole. 
because of that. But, you know, you do a show week after week for eight years and you consume as much wrestling as we do. You know, that's going to happen sometimes. The key is to not dig your heels in and to acknowledge when you were wrong about something. Or, or And it's okay to – look, we've been doing this show a long time. Our opinions on some things are going to change. Our tastes are going to change. You know? Um, I'm sure your tastes have changed the 10 years prior to this show from the beginning oh, of the prior year. And it's like our tastes are always evolving and changing as we do the show, as, as Cole wins the ladder match with six minutes left in the overrun. Pretty short ladder match. They went about nine minutes, I want to say. Nine or ten minutes. But they took a lot of hellacious bumps. Um, but I'll let you know if there's any angles or anything yeah, here. Yeah, please do. I, I'm, I, I guess I'll slowly go through the rest of this. I don't think they announced anything. Uh, yet from what I've seen, but uh, anyway, this is the TakeOver War Games card uh, happening this Saturday uh, in Chicago, Allstate Arena. Uh, you have Pete Dunne, Killian Dane versus Damian Priest. That's a triple threat match to determine the number one contender for the NXT Championship match at Survivor Series. So that's kind of cool. Uh, the winner will now move on to Survivor Series and really cool spotlight as well uh, for NXT to get a championship match on Survivor Series, which we've seen anytime that like the main roster acknowledges NXT, which I cannot believe... like. They didn't realize, like, make NXT a big deal and people will watch your show. But this, I think, is a huge thing as well. NXT Championship match being defended at Survivor Series, I think, is, is an important thing here. And, and yeah, we're, you know, where, do you, where do you sort of see this going? Pete Dunne, Killian Day, and Damian Priest. Who emerges, who faces Adam Cole uh, on Sunday for, for that title? I mean, I, Dane is the one I don't want to win. Right. I, I would agree, yeah. I'm least interested in that match. Obviously, I think the Pete Dunn match would probably be the best match, but I got to tell you, I really like Damian Priest. I mean, I took a real liking to him during the Punishment Martinez era and Ring of Honor. Look, he was rough around the edges at first. I saw him grow and evolve in front of our eyes and turn into a, a pretty damn good uh, wrestler. And now I think he's he's you know, I, I don't know. I I'll probably be rooting for Priest. But I, I won't be upset if Dunn wins the match. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think that's the way I kind of think about it as well. Is like the Dunn match sounds awesome, Pete Dunn versus Adam Cole. But that's a match that I think you can save and make a bigger moment and make a bigger thing out of uh, Pete Dunn versus Adam Cole. And Priest and Cole, like that, you can make a big deal as well. But I think this would be a really cool one of those random title defenses that you go back and look where Damon Priest wins this match. He goes and faces Adam Cole at Survivor Series. He loses, but like if you do the good thing where he looks good losing. Then you have that in your back pocket. Then eventually when Damian Priest does kind of go up again and gets back to that level again and then maybe even contends for the title or wins the title or whatever you're going to do with Damian Priest in the future, it, it doesn't hurt him if he loses this match. This is, to me, one of those deals that's like he's he's getting the spotlight and that's all that really matters for it is, is that he's in the spotlight. He's on Survivor Series or whatever and he has a chance to really impress. And then if he loses, he doesn't you know, he doesn't truly lose anything from that because he's still on the come up. Whereas a Pete Dunne, Adam Cole, that feels like that's kind of the match. It feels like it's the moment, and and I do think that that match probably could be saved and reserved for for a, a better moment and a better build or whatnot. So I'm rooting for Priest as well. I think that's a better match. I think that's a, better, a cooler match for Survivor Series. It's nothing against Pete Dunne. I, I love Pete Dunne, but I just I, I like the idea of Priest versus Cole at Survivor Series. That just that, it just seems to fit and it seems to work a little bit better. So I'm kind of with you on that one uh, as well. This is the uh, the match that's that's really tempting me to go to the show. Uh, I'm on the fence. I'm gonna. Maybe go. I have I have a potential thing that I might be doing instead, but uh, if that falls through, I am definitely going to the show. Uh, checked out tickets. Have tickets kind of ready to go if if I need to. But uh, Matt Riddle versus Finn Balor, which sounds great. I'm in for that match for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah, it should be a great match. I mean, um, you know, I we'll see if it has some kind of bullshit finish. You know, we don't, really don't know what you know, Finn Balor is obviously a heel at this point, and we don't know what his character is going to be like in NXT. But uh, by the way, this is just a series of attacks in the post match where, you know, WWE style, one guy hits a guy with his finish and then celebrates, and then another guy from another brand comes in and hits his finish and celebrates, and then bigger and bigger stars hit the ring. So they're really not clarifying any of these cards here. Okay, so we can, um, we can safely we're assume that. Seth, <laughs> we're getting a Seth Rollins, Tommaso Ciampa face-off Ooh. to end the show. It's like, um, I don't know. I really don't care about seeing Seth Rollins versus Tommaso Ciampa. Does that, <laughs> does that do anything for you? I don't know. Uh, yeah, not really. I'm sure it'd be okay, but like, they're framing this as like, you know, Rollins is Raw's guy and Ciampa, because Gargano's injured and He's, he just came back. Is is NXT's guy. So this is the big face-off to end things. Because Seth Rollins took out Adam Cole and threw him out of the ring. So And everybody else. There's like a million dead bodies. All the geeks are laid out on the ground. <laughs> their t-shirts. <laughs> their yeah, t-shirt. I see Fandango. I see the War Viking Raiders. I see... Um, are the Forgotten Sons there? Are the Forgotten Sons there? I want to know about the Forgotten Sons. I don't know. Shinsuke Nakamura's out there. Um, who, by the way... You know, was he just was totally just a face in the crowd of geeks during this whole thing? Because a couple, because a couple guys got featured, like Drew McIntyre. They gave him a big spot in the ring, right? Keith Lee came in and killed Drew McIntyre. Then Warbeard Hansen came in. Well, I don't know his name now. Eric, whatever the fuck is Ivar. I think I forget if he's Eric. No, Hansen is. Oh fuck! Which one is which? Maybe he's, uh, I don't know, Nathan, whatever. (laughs) It's Ivar and Eric. Yeah, whatever the fuck. So Warbeard Hansen comes in, and him and Keith Lee do double dives over the top and take everybody out. So you see what I'm saying? Some guys got featured. Yeah, right, right. Nakamura (laughs) is just, I I swear to you, he's just laying on the ground with Fandango. Like, he's just a 24-7 geek in a blue Uh... Laying there with, and he's a former NXT champion, right? Who was a really big deal there too, which is the other thing. It's it's crazy how far he has fallen. But um, yeah, the show ended with Rollins and and Champa doing the fry Takayama spot. So there you go. Hmm, okay, well there you go. So um, we can now safely go through the rest of this preview because. Uh... All right, so we have a TBA here. We got the Undisputed Era. This is the War Games match here, the men's War Games match. We have the Undisputed Era, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, Roderick Strong versus Ciampa, Keith Lee, Donovan Dijakovic, and to be announced. So we don't know. <laughs> Maybe on social media they'll announce it. Listen, Who knows? We can, only, we can only go by what we have as we record. And I watched with the sound off, and they didn't seem to announce anything. So I'm checking. I don't I'm know. refreshing on social That's too, and I think the first tweet I see is, "Oh my god, they never, they still didn't announce who's on Chiapas team." So I guess that's that we know. So you didn't miss anything, apparently. So I'm sure they'll announce okay. it on social media in the middle of the night or whatever. But hey, we're recording this on Wednesday right after NXT. They haven't announced it at the time of this recording. So there you go. Uh, so there's that. Tune, so what do you think? Tune of, into oh yeah. <laughs> tune in. Tune into SmackDown. Maybe it'll tell you on SmackDown. Exactly. Um, yeah. I don't, what have you thought of these War Games matches in? In uh, in in NXT, I think I think there was one that I didn't really like at all, and another that I thought was okay. Um, but they always leave me a little empty. I'm just I don't know. It's not my thing. But at the same time, I wasn't a big fan of 
what is that War Games match in uh, the 1992, the Dangerous Alliance versus um, what show is that? That that War Games match that uh, Wrestle, everybody Wrestle loves. War, Wrestle the, War 92. Uh, uh, Wrestle like, War 92. That match didn't even do it for me, and that's like considered an all-time great match. Yeah, so it might just Squadron be versus the, the Dangerous Alliance one is, is that one, and that's yeah, that's like the pinnacle that. of war games, quote unquote. And and I'll hundred percent agree with you. I, I I went through, I did the uh, the you know the, the Fall Brawl recall where I went on, on VoiceRessing.com slash Patreon as well. If you want to go back and listen to those, where I went through every single one of the Fall Brawl pay per views and watched all those war games matches, which did not include the Wrestle War because I only did the ones that were on Fall Brawl. And the thing I came away with is like. These ma- the, the matches themselves stink. It's, it, the stipulation's not very good. It's a bad stipulation. It's a bunch of, of people punching and kicking each other until the mat until everybody gets in the ring and then something happens and then it's over. The thing with the War Games match, the thing that made it important and the thing that made people enjoy War Games matches or made some of them good versus others is the stories, the characters, the people in there. It was, oh my god, Ric Flair's going to finally get his hand on blank. Or, oh my god, Hogan's going to finally you know, be able to beat blank. Or, like That was what it was. Or the Four Horsemen finally going to face off at the NWO. It was like those sort of stories and those sort of things were what was fun about it. The matches themselves are not very good. They're never very good. Yeah, I mean... I'm not a big stipulation match guy. You know that. The listeners know that. And this whole thing, the heels always have the one-man advantage, and it just always seems so – I don't know. It's just not up my alley. And they're, they're, they're brawls, and, and, and I, there's blood, and, and it's just – that's never my thing. You know me, Rich. I just – one guy wrestles another guy. They don't like each other. The winner is going to be the champion. That's what Joe Lanza likes. I, I'm not into um, – you know, gimmicky double cage matches where, you know, the heels constantly have the advantage, old school psychology. It's fine. Um, you know, but I, I, it's just not something that I, that's ever held appeal to me. Mm-hmm. And, and in particular, and, and, and that's why I mentioned like the stories and the rivalries and the grudge, man, like it was, this is the only way we can settle this match is we get in the ring and yes. we do this. Or, like that's how kind of the old school war games were. And the problem is with this war games matches, I'm looking at a screenshot right now of, Adam Cole, Tommaso Ciampa, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish <laughs> in the ring beating up guys on Raw. And I'm like, okay, well, in you know four or five days, these guys are going to try to kill each other on a War Games match. But then the next night, they're going to be like, you know, hand in hand and, and toe for toe because we're on the gold, black and gold brand. So like this particular, like this of all War Games weekends feels the, the least important and the least relevant because it's like these dudes are fighting each other. Like you just said, Adam Cole got knocked out and Tommaso Ciampa was the next guy up sort of fighting for his, you know, his brand or whatever. And it's like, uh, it's just, and and by the way, Tommaso, yeah, it's, it's like, right. It's like the psychotic, like what you're saying. Normally these matches are like a year's worth of story culminating in one side is going to live and one side is going to die. And this is going to be the end of it. And, we're coming into these matches and it's like, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like they've just been building them for a couple weeks and it's, it's a sketchy build at that. Yeah. So that, that's, that's where I'm at. And yeah, as far as the actual matches themselves, the, the WWE, the NXT style war games matches, I think they've been fine, but they've been super spotty. And that, that I, I haven't been a big fan of. It's a lot of guys just laying around uh, guys hitting each other with weapons or whatever. And then guys doing like big stuff off the top of the cage and big moves through tables or whatnot. It's just like, I've seen it. I've seen it a thousand times. I think you mentioned this on either a, a TV review or, or maybe we mentioned it a few weeks ago on, on one of the flagships. Like I am so over hardcore matches and people going through tables and people doing that stuff like i liked omega and moxley but like i'm just i'm exhausted of like 
guy gets put through a table or people use weapons and hit each other. Like I, I don't know why we've 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 reached this like this weird period in wrestling where like it's just I, I don't know. I'm just over it right now. I just want to like you said, I just want to watch two guys get in the ring and wrestle and one guy beats the other guy and he's the best in the company now. <laughs> or like he's the champion or whatever. He, he like that's just I, I I'm just sick of guys hitting each other with kendo sticks and chairs in the back and tables and barbed wire bats and all that sort of stuff. It's just like I'm I'm exhausted. And that's kind of what these matches are. They're just the same thing thing and it's 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 uh, i don't know man, man are we grumpy we are we are no i'm gonna i'm gonna be actually less grumpy about survivor series wait till, wait till you get here less grumpy okay. about survivor series. All right. and, but this is a big reason why i don't really i'm not feeling super compelled to go to the show is because like i love takeover i would never pass up a takeover in chicago but i'm like man two of the matches two of the four matches are war games matches and i don't know like it's just not that big of an attraction to me on, on that level but uh the main event here is going to be the women's war games match i don't know if that's actually gonna be the main event i'm just the way i'm reading this here uh rhea ripley candice LeRae, uh tegan Knox, and mia yim versus Shayna baszler io shirai bianca belair and kay lee ray what do you think about the women's war games match yeah i mean uh you know, I, my my feelings are the same about the stipulation. I think it's been well built for the amount of time they've been, that they've been building. And I thought Kaylee Ray was a a nice surprise last week. I wasn't expecting that, so that's a real big spot for her. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll I'll give it a chance, just like I'll give the men's one a chance. We'll see. For sure, yeah. I, uh, I I like the build of the women's match a little bit more because, like I said, there's not as much of the muddying of like. The, the women feel like they actually want to fight one another. I, I, I don't get that vibe from the men right now. The, the men, yeah, because of all the Survivor Series build, they've been a lot of the featured guys, you know, defending NXT's honor or whatever. So it's up. But it felt like the women, even though there's been a little bit on the women's side, it does feel like that's a little bit more of a grudge match. And you have a right, lot of right, little stories. Because for you, it's muddled. Like, are they on the same team or are they enemies? How are they enemies one night and, and we're supposed to band together for brand supremacy the next night. Yeah, exactly. it, I hate it. I, I, I don't like that that, that idea. Right. And I understand. I get it, yeah. And it, there's less of that with the women. The women, I, and what's cool about the women, too, is it feels like there's a lot of little micro stories in there. Yeah, you got Rhea versus Sh- uh, Shayna. You have you know Mia Yim taking the place of Dakota Kai and like how that's going to kind of play out or whatever. You got just like little yeah. nuggets here and there. Like, you know, the Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae thing is in there too, but but Io Shirai also has, you know, sort of some tension with, with, with Shayna and a little bit of tension with, with... There's just like a lot of little nuggets in there that I like uh, about that match. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the women's match a lot more uh, than the Dakota men's match. Kai, Dakota Kai's got to go heel, right? Oh, for sure. I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if in this match she gets involved in some way. And knocks out Mia Yim, or does I don't know what it is, or I don't know what she does, or attacks her before the match, or something like that. But there's there's a lot of things they can do there. But yeah, she, she I hope she does because otherwise she just got punked out and just basically you know she can't come back and be like yay. She's she's <laughs> been getting shit on like her whole run. Shayna Baszler beats her like a drum constantly, and then she gets kicked off the team by by um by um what's her name Rhea Ripley yeah yeah right uh, like you stink so you're off the team basically and then she just cried and ran off the screen right while I mean, her partner con- her partner and best friend is on the team still like yes so she's constantly getting punked out so to me it's like they're just setting up a heel turn for her at some point so but I guess we'll see and you're right it could happen in this match yeah, but there's Which a lot more because it shouldn't because it's a war games match. <laughs> right, exactly, cage, I know. <laughs> and the cage by design, but we, you know, but it'll probably happen in this match for sure. So that's uh, that's uh, takeover war games as far as we know it right now. Nothing else added. No other matches. Uh, and the fourth person for Champa's team is still out in the open there. But we'll move on to Survivor Series going on Sunday. Uh, I will not be at the show we're doing our Thanksgiving that week or that day because uh, uh, Michelle is going to work on Thanksgiving Day. So. Um, uh, 
So no Survivor Series for me, unfortunately. But I'm I'm actually Joe. <laughs> legit, there are parts of the show. There's a match in particular that almost got me in the door. If if I wasn't doing that Thanksgiving, I'd be in the door for this. Despite the fact that there are four or five matches on the show that I would rather at, at gunpoint. I don't want to watch these matches. But there's a match on here, and it might surprise you, and I don't know. Maybe it won't surprise you. We'll see. Uh, we'll start at the top or, or the bottom here. Adam Cole uh, versus the winner of the Triple Threat at, at War Games, like we mentioned. We already kind of previewed that one. I hope for Priest. I think you hope for Priest as well. Cole's going to win this. He's still going to be the champion, I think, regardless. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, I think Damian Priest, that's a good spot for him, a good showcase uh, for him yeah, as well. We'll Bray Wyatt, the Fiend. Bray Wyatt versus Daniel Bryan uh, for the Universal Championship. Uh, not the match that was getting me in the door, uh, in case you're curious. So. Uh, now listen, Bray Wyatt probably had his best career singles match against Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble a few years ago. Um, so there is that. But this is the Fiend. You're gonna have the red lights. Oh, God, I mean, the red lights. Have you seen like screenshots of what, or like pictures of what that looks like when you're in the arena? Yeah, it looks terrible. It looks like awful. Like what are you doing? You know, unless you're sitting, you know, in the front row. You know, if you're sitting up in the second deck, I mean, it's it's horrendous. Um, it's a horrible gimmick. I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum. Um, are we ready to victory lap that, or do we need some more time? I mean, that's not setting the world on fire. The way. <laughs> hey, I'm ready, man. I, I I heard that this was the the a, a transformative character in history, and oh my god, and it's he's just a dude already. But let's give it another month or so. I'm I'm ready, but for for common courtesy, let's give this a month. Let's give him a Daniel so, Ryan match and, and a Survivor Series. Should, can we wait until SmackDown officially hits Raw numbers? Then can we do it? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a good time to do. Is it. that fair? Yeah, I, I think we could really honestly probably do it after this show because you talk about all the stuff that's going on, all the important stories, and he's not involved in any of those. You know what I mean? Like he's not in any of the important stories in, in that thing, and he's just kind of in his own little universe right now. And there's a good chance he goes out there and has you know probably not a good match against Dan and Brian. We'll see. Maybe he does. I, I was told that this was the most over thing in the company. A transformative, game-changing gimmick that had wide appeal among the WWE fans, and they move him to SmackDown, and they're almost doing raw numbers on Fox. <laughs> right, and Brock Lesnar is very clearly, uh, you know, for the while that he was there, now he's back on Raw, obviously, but yeah, he was, he just immediately engulfed everything that Bray Wyatt was for the first second. Yeah, he, he's, he's completely irrelevant. Uh, I, I, I don't, I, I just, you know... I'm ready. Really? Look, I'm ready, but let's let's we'll give it we'll give it a little bit of extra time. But let the record show we're ready to do it. So we were told that he was wildly over, and we were completely off base. That's all I'm saying. That's what we were told. I don't see it. You know, you would think that a transformative, game changing, wildly over character like the Fiend, you know, the, the the ratings trend would be in the other direction on the Big Fox. I mean, we all saw. Uh, the short video clips on Twitter of non-fans and casuals getting their first look at the Firefly Funhouse the very first week of SmackDown on Fox and people pointing, laughing, and mocking. I believe it. We even pointed out that that sums it up. That non-wrestling fans see that and they're like, yep, wrestling is still fucking stupid and I'm never watching it again. That's what, in fact, I believe The Fiend has had the opposite effect. I believe that the fiend has ran people off. That's my stance. How about that? I agree. No, and, I, 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 and I think I have, and I have more evidence for my <laughs> yeah, stance. The ratings are pretty good evidence of that. The, yeah, the people who think that this is some game. To be fair, we haven't heard that in a while. 
those people all disappeared. Well, that's what I'm Can't saying. It's been them. quiet on the old uh, old de- <laughs> defense front about Bray Wyatt, which is why I'm about ready for that victory lap. But I, I want to at least I'll let him have the Survivor Series and then figure out where we go from there. But yeah, it's been it's been awful quiet, like out of sight, out of mind for the Fiend, who you know a month ago was the the most important character in in, in this company's in, in the entire company, and this guy that's completely changing the game and is so quote unquote over. We hear this over thing all the time. Oh, he's over. Oh, he's over. This guy's over. That guy's over. There's a lot of guys that are over in WWE yet. They fucking nobody's watching their TV. <laughs> but it's it's amazing yeah. how that happens. Yeah. How these guys are just the next guy. Oh, Seth's over. Bray's over. And <laughs> this guy's over. Okay, none of these guys are over because nobody watches them on TV. People wa- less people watch them every single week. So I don't know that they're over. So, all right, we'll we'll wait. You know, we're listen. We're nothing if not humble. Yeah, we'll, we'll, and uh, I'm ready, but we'll we'll give it a second. So, I mean, it's hard being right all the time. I'll be honest. It's it's a burden that you know it's a <laughs> it's the, it's the burden I carry. It's, it's a tough job. Someone's right got to do it, Joe. Someone's got to do it, and, and... It's, it's hard being right all of the time. It's just it's it's not as easy as people think when they listen to this. But uh, you may continue. Yeah, there we go. So uh, AJ Styles versus Nakamura versus Roderick Strong. Joe, this is a brand supremacy triple threat match. Yes, it is. What brand and are you rooting for, Joe? Are you going to be a red? Are you going to be blue? Be black and gold? What brand are you, you going to be wearing a shirt and on? And that right there, Captain Krejci, is the essence of these brand supremacy deals that they've been doing for, what, 10 years now? Uh, it feels like, anyway. Does anyone ever pick a side? No one cares, and that's why it doesn't work. Because you don't have hardcore Monday Night Raw fans. You don't have hardcore SmackDown fans. You just have fans of, of fucking WWE. And and the whole essence of pro wrestling is is building up these rivalries and having people be emotional and pick a side. Why would anyone ever pick a side in these things? You know, which T-shirt color do you prefer, Rich? I like black probably rooting for the yeah uh, so you're an nxt guy i guess i'm an nxt guy yeah that's uh but no like the other thing that too is the baffling thing we don't have to i guess we don't have to be that show again because everybody most people know this but like they just had a draft or whatever the fuck they had like four weeks so you have like people that were on smackdown for the last year that now have a red t-shirt and now go yeah fuck you smackdown it's so right. stupid why would anybody yeah. care about this yeah and then and, and then no and then uh, then immediately after Survivor Series, no one cares. Again. Exactly. And no one, no one's rocking their red T-shirt anymore. I do like like Montez Ford and and <laughs> you know, the Street Profits like beating up the NXT guys. Like ah, get out of here, you assholes! It's like, mm-hmm. You guys were on NXT for like three years. You, you were there ten minutes ago. <laughs> right, you were just on Raw like four weeks yeah. ago. Now, but you got a red T-shirt, so fuck those guys. Like, right. It's so stupid. But like you said, who would possibly care? Who 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 among us? I, I would love to listen to like the hardcore SmackDown fan that's like, look, I don't like that raw shit, man. I'm straight SmackDown, all right? That's the thing. It doesn't fucking exist. <laughs> right. And if these two things were wildly different, uh, then right. maybe... Like the, the original they... brand split, like I could buy that because that was the Paul Heyman vision of the SmackDown 6 and that sort of stuff. And, and it at that time felt like SmackDown was a diametrically different show than Raw because Raw was like Triple H fucking a corpse and all that bullshit going on at that time so it was like you could easily and I remember at the time I'd be like dude I'm Smackdown rules Raw sucks and you were able because they felt different they looked different they had different writers they had different sets they had different announcers the announcers were in different places like everything was different Nothing. Yeah, they're the same company now. One's blue, one's red. It's just... Yeah, you can't cultivate loyalty, you know, when they're exactly the same. But what else we got here? That's it. Anyway, uh, five on five men's Survivor Series triple threat elimination match for brand supremacy. Joe, at f- what? <laughs> I hate Survivor Series matches. 
and I yeah. hate triple threats. Yeah. Fuck these matches. This is the match for you. <laughs> these are the worst. Like, it is a, a meaningless rivalry between colors. It's a yeah. triple threat match, and it's a survivor. I mean, could could you make something worse other than it be, I don't know, two out of three falls or a strap match? <laughs> you know, like, I don't know how you could make this match any worse. For how, me. Confusing, how confusing is this going to be? Yeah. I, yeah, I guess, yeah. yeah it's going to be so weird. There's going to be a bunch of dudes everywhere over the place, and like, who's the legal man? It's going to be weird triple threats. Yeah, this is going to be strange. I'm, is it going to be three people in the ring at once, or is it going to be two people in the ring at once with, like, you know, the way they usually do, like a four corners thing. Yeah, it doesn't. Right? It says triple threat match, so I assume that both three people in the ring at three once. People in the ring at once, I guess, is how. Because I... if it's if it's not, why would you tag in? You'd let the other two teams eliminate each other, and then come in at the end when there's like one guy left. Right, exactly. And then clean up while you're fresh. So you've got to have three guys in at once, which means these are going to be cluster fucks. I'm just excited about everybody wrestling in their colored t-shirts. That's what I'm oh, saying. I forget they have to wrestle in the shirts too. <laughs> well, yeah, because they think we're all stupid. Yeah. And that we need the colored t-shirts to understand what team everybody's on. They don't see that as a flaw in their storytelling. They see that as we were just stupid and we couldn't handle it otherwise. That's why everybody wears the t-shirts. So they're probably going to wrestle in the t-shirts. They probably are. Also, They've done it in past years. Well, that's, that's very likely. Yeah, and, and also we don't know one of the teams, right? Isn't this one of the matches? Yeah, where we so don't this know? is so this is our team Raw, which is uh, Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, Kevin Owens, Randy Orton, and Ricochet uh, versus Team SmackDown: Roman Reigns, Mustafa Ali, Braun Strowman, King Corbin, and Shorty G. Those are real names, by the way. Versus Team NXT, which is to be announced. So yeah, yeah, all the guys that were just laying on the floor, probably <laughs> right. So Fandango, um, and like, because who's left? I mean, you right, know, right, right. There's not a lot. Uh, I mean, we could probably figure it out. I mean, okay, so who else from NXT is booked on this show? We've got... Well, so far it'll be Adam Cole and whoever, Priest or Dunn or whatever. So strike right. both those guys out for now if you want to. So Right, right, right. So let's just say for sake of argument, they could put Priest and Killian Dane on this team, mm-hmm. right? I think O'Reilly probably shows up there. I think Fish probably shows up there. Dijakovic probably shows up there. Maybe a Keith Lee... You think they'll put Undisputed Era in that? See, I don't know, because like, we're talking about big guy. I mean, we're, this Team Raw that I mentioned yeah, here is Seth I mean. and, and Drew and Kevin Owens and Orton and Ricochet. You can't go with Fandango and fucking the Forgotten Son. You know what I mean? Like, you can't go with those. They have to be the heavy hitters. I, I gotta, okay, I have a more interesting question for you. Do you think they know who's going to be on the team? As of when? No. <laughs> I, I don't think they know. Either. I don't think they know either. I don't think they know. <laughs> I don't think they have any. So I suppose we shouldn't spend any time thinking about it because they haven't. What are okay? I got another question for you. What are the odds that these two NXT teams that haven't been named yet for these two five on five on five matches just never show up and they become regular Raw versus SmackDown matches? Ooh, I don't think so. I think someone will show up. I I think they'll get their five. I, I think they'll get their five. I think there's a chance they quietly forget that NXT are part of those matches. Really? No. Because why haven't they announced the participants? I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. I don't know why they do anything they do. No, they have to. No, they, they, no, 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 no. They've been talking about this for weeks. NXT's showed up on Raw and 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 tossed Humberto Carrillo to, into the crowd and into the, the – no, there's no way. There's no way. They have to. Would it make any difference? No. <laughs> No, they just no come difference. out. And, and no, they okay. never say anything about it again. It just yeah. A serious question though: 
do you think all of this has elevated NXT to some extent? I do. I do. I do too. I think it has. It's put them on equal footing. It it has absolutely put them on equal footing. We've seen the ratings reflect that too. I think, yeah, I think that they, it has helped elevate NXT to somewhat equal footing. I think the Triple H promos help in that regard. And I think that NXT should win some of these matches on Sunday though. And I think that's where they might blow it. Oh, they're not. Yeah, I mean, like this match, they're not winning this match. There's no chance. We have Seth Rollins, Owens, Orton, Reigns, Strowman. Like, they're not winning this, but they're losing this one for sure. Yeah, and it's like if they're eliminated, you know, if all five of their guys are out and one team still has four guys and the other team still has three, it's a bad look. Mm -hmm. So you hope if, like, they should win some of these head-to-head matches, and if they don't, they should at least look really great in losing. But it's like, you know, these other triple threats. I mean, they, they should win at least two of them. Otherwise, all of this was for naught, and they look like they're the, you know, developmental brand again. Mm-hmm. And and would it surprise you if they lost every single match? Not at all. I mean, last year at the Survivor Series, SmackDown got swept, basically. Correct. They won the pre-show so, match, but they, they officially said that the pre-show doesn't matter on that night by saying that Raw yeah. swept them. And it didn't matter. It just was like, yeah, whatever, Raw won every match, and it, it, it didn't matter. It went right back I mean, to normal. It, so, and I, it, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it happens again here, where NXT just loses every match because Vince, maybe in his mind or whoever, says, "Well, you know, this is the main roster, and they're the developmental guys. They're not ready yet, but you know, they're on equal footing." But no, they're not. They're not here yet, and and they shouldn't beat you know our top stars. They shouldn't beat Seth. They shouldn't beat you know Roman. They shouldn't beat Charlotte. They shouldn't beat Sasha. And and I get that argument, but but it's a dumb argument. It's if you're going to want to build these guys and you want to build stars, it's a dumb argument because it's a great opportunity to have Keith Lee go out there and fucking pin you know. Seth Rollins or whatever, or pin Roman Reigns or whatever, and that's a huge moment for him. And and then you say, hey, well, Keith Lee, oh fuck, he just pinned Roman Reigns, and you can watch him every Wednesday on on, on NXT. Or like, so there, there's there's a lot they could do with it, but yeah, I have no confidence that they're going to do that. And oh, by the way, you're in a ratings war that you're being embarrassed in, which is a no- more incentive. Look, I'm not saying NXT should go in there and clean sweep, okay? I was totally in favor of NXT clean sweeping in the build, though establish that they're on the same level by having NXT just kick the main roster's ass on Raw and SmackDown every week, right? And then, you know, it's like, but when you get to the pay-per-view, then you can split it one-third, one-third, one-third. You know what I mean? And it's not so bad. As long as the key NXT people win and the key NXT people look good. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, I don't have confidence they're going to do that. It's like, I, I almost feel like NXT is the new ECW and Triple H is like the new Paul Heyman, right? In a way where it's like Paul Heyman is kind of, not Paul Heyman, where Triple H is kind of following that Paul Heyman playbook where he's like the spiritual leader of this third outlaw brand that has all the support of the hardcore fans and has all of the cool wrestlers you kind of get that vibe, or am I on? No, island? no, no. You you definitely do, and I think there's also this thing where he's in the room saying, I'm, "I'm sure he's going to be in the room, and, and, and maybe they're discussing who's going to win these matches, and he's going to say, no, I, you know, the NXT guy should win this, and everyone's going to talk him down, and it's not going to happen.' Because we hear that for Heyman all the time. Heyman would ate for his guys. Like every time they'd get in the room, he would say, "Hey, you know what should happen? Taz should be Triple H," and they would go, "Okay, okay, Paul, okay, whatever. Okay, you know what should happen? Rob Van Dam should win this," and it was like, "Okay, Paul, okay, Paul, whatever." Like he was able to get them to a certain point, but then when the push came to shove, when that moment needed to happen, when they needed to get those big wins then ultimately they didn't get those big wins in, in, but in see, WWE, to but. me 
that's where the difference is. The difference here is that I think Paul, uh, uh, the other Paul, Paul Levesque, Triple H, has way more stroke in the room than Paul Heyman oh, ever certainly. did. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So I feel like, you know, it's like they very much feel like ECW in a lot of ways. And I'm talking about ECW once they were absorbed and all the various times that they did this sort of thing with ECW, which they did at multiple occasions. But I feel like there's more of a fighting chance that the outlaw brand, the third brand will get over on because ECW, when push came to shove, like you said, never got over on the main roster ever. Neither did WCW for the brief time that they did the invasion. NXT at least was always a WWE creation. Number one. So Vince doesn't have that thing where he's like, I can't let someone else's thing be better than my thing. Right. Right. Which was the hang up with WCW, the hang up with ECW, the hang up every time they've done an invasion angle ever before. Yeah. I like he had this whole thing where it's like he couldn't even show ass even if he his side was ultimately gonna win. It's just he couldn't do it. He couldn't bring himself to having any well, this is his thing. Right? So he shouldn't have to worry about that in this case. Plus Levesque has more stroke in the room than Heyman ever did. So I see a lot of parallels between NXT and ECW, except in this case, they have someone in the room that legitimately does have some stroke. Yeah. Although we all know who ultimately has the stroke at the end of the day. And it's very hard to think that. Jeff Jarrett, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I I guess this is a good test case. This is a good test case to see. Okay, does Vince see this thing differently because it is his and always was his? And we'll find out the answer to that. All right. So five minutes ago, I said something that now people are screaming. Uh, the Undisputed Era, they will not be in this match because they are in the tag team title brand supremacy match. So, right. Um, so sorry. So strike Fish and O'Reilly from that uh, potential list of guys as well, which is getting – now it's getting a little tricky, that list. It's like Ciampa, That's what I'm saying. Keith Lee. The uh, and like you're saying, they got to be big enough stars to where they're credible. Right. Right? You can't stick fucking – fashion police in there you can't stick fucking you know whoever the fuck i can't even think of another low-level nxt guy <laughs> yeah, i'm having trouble thinking of them too i just keep going back to <laughs> kona reeves you can't kona stick reeves, kona there reeves. We go. <laughs> that'd be awesome yeah. though i'm in for actually never mind fuck that kona reeves book him there so, so I don't know what they're going to do, but how many minutes ago was that? Because we're going to get tweets for like I know, seven. I know. Minutes. I felt. So, I'm thinking. I'm like, damn. This is one of those things I'm going to toss and turn all night. I mentioned earlier, and I'm yeah. going to think I should just edit that out. I should just really edit that, change it, so nobody knows that we ever fucked it up. But we're just going to have it happen anyway, and they just get those tweets. So it's fine. So because they tweet, well, actually, the undisputed era is in the brand supremacy three way, and <laughs> then and then we type back, keep listening. And then, and then they type, sorry. <laughs> oh, my bad. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, it's just every, every week, week. Yeah. every fucking week. But anyway, that's coming for us uh, in a bit. But uh, let's move on to the women's match. We got Team Raw here, Charlotte Flair, Natalia, Asuka, Kyrie Sane, and Sarah Logan. I love the Sarah Logan inclusion. Uh, has not wrestled since WrestleMania, basically like what once or twice maybe tops. And now she's, you know, representing the, the red brand here on uh, the brand supremacy five on five on five women's elimination Sarah Logan has had exactly one television match since Wrestlemania and I'm willing to bet what percentage of our audience could have correctly named her brand before she was oh god no Jesus like 30% maybe I I don't know is is main event any one particular brand is main event raw or main events both it's raw 
Okay, well, that, that's maybe the only way I would know is because of, of, of certain people on Twitter, including Words, who, uh, who, uh, Words Big 80, who, who does a great job of uh, promoting the, the real A show main event every week, which has Sarah Logan versus <laughs> like Dana Brooke. Dana Brooke. In a 45 week. match series. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think 30 is generous. I think about 5% of our audience would have correctly identified the brand. Well, you figure it's a coin flip, right? Right. That's so, what I mean. Like, you, you, even the wrong ones would still get it right. Just because, like, right, they would right, have right. no idea and just go, uh, raw and be like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, good. Like, <laughs> perfect. Like, well, here she is representing Raw, and she'll be there in her red T-shirt. So Absolutely. There you go. So that's uh, Team SmackDown: Sasha Banks, Carmella, Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, and Nikki Cross versus Team NXT to be announced. Yeah, I guess everybody that's in the War Games, you think that they'll have people who faced each other in War Games on the same team. The next day that yes. will drive you nuts it will drive me up a fucking wall but it is what it is all in their black and gold t-shirts <laughs> and tagging after this brutal fight that's the thing i mean if they don't who are you gonna put in there they have to have some of those people from the war games match Aaliyah. They, you can put Aaliyah. In, no you uh, cannot because she's doing the worked broken oh nose. i forgot she worked her yeah all right that's okay so she's out um, she's out dakota kai can can finally get her due uh here um <laughs> yeah good luck man yeah. <laughs> Kota Kai Vanessa Bourne Vanessa Bourne yeah who's a uh, uh, Gonzalez or whatever what's I forget her first Raina, name Raina yeah, Gonzalez. Raina Gonzalez yeah there you go you got her Conti uh, uh, <laughs> I mean if you're Tyrona Conti and our Conti yeah. yeah I mean you know so they're not gonna do that so <laughs> you're Laurel gonna... Van Ness is she still hanging around or Laurel Van Ness. No, she's gone, right? That? Yeah, that's uh, what's her face? Uh, Chelsea Green. I, I forget if oh, she's there. No, they just haven't been on TV. Right, right, right. So I guess you could bring the, her back up. You know, <laughs> she's in the tag team with Diana Peraza. Yeah, I was gonna say you could bring them up and act like you know they've been on TV. And you got forever, Scarlett so. Bordeaux. Who that's hasn't true. You got oh yeah, oh man. Once Vince yeah, gets his right. eyes on Scarlett, yeah, she's gonna be. I forget it. She's gonna be main yeah. roster for sure. Quickly, absolutely. She is a uh, she's a stunning woman. That's uh, that Scarlett Bordeaux. So she is the smoke show. She is. That's gonna be uh, that's gonna be quick uh, for her uh, her main roster ascension there. But that's the uh, that's the women's match there. So I mean, I don't know. It's I guess whatever. <laughs> I, I'm trying to give any analysis. Who fucking cares? Uh, Viking Raiders. Eric and Ivar. Hanson is Ivar. Eric is uh, is is. is um, is Roe, so just so just so you're aware for the future. Uh, yeah, I, if you want to try I, to remember that for next time, I don't know. There's I don't know what the mnemonic is to remember that Eric is is Roe and Ivar is Hanson. But uh, listen, I'm ignoring you, and I'm not going to remember that. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, versus the New Day, Biggie and Kofi versus the Undisputed Era, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. Joe, it is a brand supremacy triple threat tag match. Yeah, I mean it'll probably be pretty good, right? I don't know. It's a triple. Uh, oh, man, just bodies this this show is just going to be men and women and bodies and t-shirts and colors correct and things like happening i don't know it's just i don't know yeah it's a lot yeah it'll be a lot of uh a lot of flippy do's a lot of dangerous looking spots a lot of bodies colliding i mean it'll probably be fun but it's you think it it feel like it'll all blur together kind of yeah yeah that's that's my word with all these triple threat matches and WWE triple threat matches in general just kind of are that way for me these days so yeah a lot of t-shirts though for sure well speaking of t-shirts and triple threats becky lynch versus bailey versus Shayna baszler joe it is a brand supremacy triple threat match 
Yes, it is. You got a lot <laughs> of those. I'm not going to the show. But if I was going to go to the show, Joe, this is the match getting me in the goddamn door. I have not been this excited about a WWE match in a long time. Brock Lesnar versus Rey Mysterio for the WWE Championship. No holds barred. Rey's out there with the pipe. He's ready to defend his family. Brock's out there fucking up Ray's family, fucking up Kane Velasquez. Ray's cutting passionate promos. Joe, I fucking, I, I'm so ready for this match. This has me wishing that I could ditch this Thanksgiving dinner and go to this. I, I would, I would honestly, if I knew this is the main event, I would fucking, I'd buy a ticket, skip all this other shit that I just talked about, and show up, you know, with with a half hour left in the show to watch this match. I'm there for this match, man. They've done a good job with the build here. They have, you know, with the pipe and. uh Ray Mysterio, you know, baby, he's ready. Like I love it. He's got the fucking pipe. He's like, let's go, baby, let's go. No holds barred. Let's do this thing. It's yeah, great. It's, it's, pro, it's not hard. Pro wrestling is very easy. Brock beats up Ray, people close to Ray. Ray's pissed, and Ray's gonna fucking fight this guy. That's right. That's yeah. it. That's all. Like we haven't seen Brock since he got beat up with the pipe. So, um, you know, they've done a good job establishing that the pipe might be the. Uh, you know, the Achilles heel for Brock. I mean, I think Brock's going to retain. Oh, I mean, yeah, Brock's going to beat him in, you know, five minutes or whatever, but, you know. But, yeah, they, they, they have done a good job with the build. You know, this show is really an agent's nightmare. You have all these triple threats. How many different ways can you construct a triple threat match? I mean, they're all going to have the same formula. Yeah, everybody right? better be in the same room so they can make sure that they don't do the exact same spots because, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be real, real tough because usually they'll have like one you know triple threat match and and they all kind of follow the same tropes more times than not you know WWE triple threat matches, which is fine. Like I get it, they're they're agenting a ton of matches or whatever, but this this has one, two, three, four, five triple threat matches on the show. Like that is, oof. yeah, yeah, it's 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 a lot, and I don't know how different you can make them all. So, I don't know. It's a weird show. It, it, it's. I wouldn't be stunned if the show is good. I could see it being really good. Yeah, it could, it could go one of two ways. I think it could go really, really good or really, really bad. I would venture to guess it's probably going to be really good. I do. I honestly think it's going to be a very, very good show. It's just like, on paper, it reads really weird and it looks really weird. But yeah, it, it's, guys are going to be out there busting their ass, doing a lot of high cool stuff and i think the inclusion of the nxt really adds a lot to it as well because i think there's especially in chicago that i think is going to be a fan base that's going to get behind the nxt wrestlers and those guys know what a big spot this is for them and i'm sure triple h is going to pump like you said similar to paul Heyman, he's going to get those guys in a room and talk about how big of a moment this is the the barely legal 97 speech is going to happen you know (laughs) to those guys of like look this is our moment this is our time like go out there and and, and absolutely kill it and and i have no doubt in my mind that those nxt guys are going to know that this is such a huge moment for them and an opportunity for them to really turn the tides in terms of the ratings war or whatnot so they're going to go out there and bust their ass like i have no doubt the nxt guys are going to work their asses off this entire night and that's going to make for a fun show of itself, yeah. And Rey Mysterio might lay the pipe. On Brock- I can't wait. On Brock- well, I'm, hold on, <laughs> the way that was phrased, I, I you know, I'd be down for either one. Of, uh, He's gonna uh, lay the pipe, you know. Yeah. A little, it sounds like some nasty fan fiction, but he might. That's what I was gonna say. I was like, you know, I but you know, I'm kind of into I'm, I'm, I'd be interested in seeing how that worked. Whoa, you know? you'd be interested in that, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting uh pairing there. I don't know. Yeah, big man, little man. Yeah, I'd have to see how it works out, but you know, hey, yeah, you know. Okay. Can't listen, say, I can't not, say until I see. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, I, I, listen, I would never judge a man's Pornhub search history. I, I just uh, that's not my style. So you're into it. You're into it. <laughs> so that's that. That is Survivor Series. And that is it for this episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Of course, 
Support our sponsor, Manscaped. We talked about it earlier. Let people notice your balls. Make your balls matter, guys. Manscaped.com, promo code VOW to get 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped.com, promo code VOW. Uh, also mentioned at Twitter, at Voices Wrestling, if you want to talk to us on Twitter. VoicesWrestling.com slash Discord is where you want to go for all the Discord, too. And I should mention as well, I don't know what's going to happen next week with the, the holiday or whatnot. Um, we should mention VoicesWrestling.com slash Amazon. If you're going to make any purchases on Amazon this holiday season, VoiceWrestling.com slash Amazon helps us out quite a bit uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, that will be uh, really good stuff there if you're doing that. Well, to be decided on, on next week, we're, we're trying to work that out right now with who's got what days free and whatnot. I, I don't know what's going to happen next week with the show. Uh, you, know where there will, you know where there will be content next week? Where will there be the content, paywall. Joe? Do you know? Tell me, please. Beh- behind the paywall, Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling, there's guaranteed to be content there next week. If you are not subscribed to the Patreon, why? If you listen to this show, why are you not forking over the five bucks a month to get uh, tons of? I mean, we work way too hard for that five dollars a month, and uh, there, you know, even if there's no flagship next week, you're guaranteed to have content behind that paywall. So, uh, perfect time to subscribe. I really don't know why anyone who listens to this wouldn't subscribe. Yeah, it's really confuses me, Rich. Confuses me. Well, stop confusing Joe, people. Subscribe to it. VoiceWrestling.com slash Patreon. I will guarantee uh, you're at least going to get a Nurse and Rich instant reaction show because we are going to Dynamite next week uh, in Chicago. So we're going to go, go to that show. So you're at least going to get that. You're going to get the news updates. You'll get some Kings of the Tokyo Dome. So we will give you audio content next week. I just don't know if we're going to get a flagship next week, but we'll see. Will the nurse, will the nurse discuss your balls? On the- um, well, that's on the on the pace side. I, what, do we, what do we do about you know Manscaped stuff on the pace side? Do we... We don't do ads behind the paywall. That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, I, I, I suppose you're, I can ask her, but, you know. it's, it's You're worming your way out of that, huh? <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Rich, the uh, the Golden State Warriors allowed 142 points tonight. <laughs> Are they the worst defensive basketball team of all time? Uh, no, the 1991 Denver Nuggets. The Paul, what is it, Westhead? I always, I always mix up the Westhead versus Westfall. Um, it's Westhead. Westhead. So, yeah. you okay? So, I understand pace is a factor here, but is there a chance that the Warriors could be the worst defensive team of all time? I, I think they're think? pretty close. Let, let me actually do. Uh, let me let me actually look at the numbers here real quick. Pace wise, it's late in the show. People could X out if they don't. Exactly. Want to yeah. This is this is just Joe and I having a discussion here. They are definitely going to be up there, uh, especially now that this year the way it's going, they're not going to bring Steph Curry back. They're probably yeah. going to tell him to stay on ice so they can just keep losing. Uh, they're not going to bring. Well, <laughs> yeah, listen, Thompson back. Listen. Yeah. And listen, Steph Curry's not exactly Gary Payton on the other side. <laughs> exactly right. He's not about to change that. Joe, they're not even the worst defensive team in the league right now, believe it or not. Wow, who's that? So uh, defensive rating-wise, they're 114.4, 29th out of 30th. So they're giving up 114.4 uh, points per 100 possessions. Uh, let me see who's actually worse than them this year. I, uh, I'm f- fascinated by this. Of who could possibly be giving up more points than this Warriors? I think when it's all said and done, the Warriors will be the, the, the worst team in the in the league defensive-wise because yeah. that's still including some of the decent, you know. Um, your Washington Wizards are giving up 115.2. And they allowed uh, 138 tonight, I think. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, in, okay, interesting here. Interesting. So I, met, I brought up the, the 90, uh, 1991... Uh, the nineteen ninety ninety one Denver Nuggets is like one of the worst defensive teams. They, rich, yeah, the rich creamies. They gave up one hundred four point seven points per one hundred possessions. So the Warriors I'm are saying. right there. They're right on their heels. Told you. You said they were one fourteen, so they're ahead of them actually. Yeah, right? yeah. There you go. So the Warriors right now are the second worst defensive team of all time, behind the Wizards of this year. 
Uh, well, let me let me actually clarify that they're they're the worst right now amongst the uh, the teams. Well, let's 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 okay. do a let's do a. The Wizards, the Wizards won one thirty eight, one thirty two tonight. So. Oh hey, well they hey they're getting a win there. That's all that matters, right? Uh, let's see. Thirty two points. <laughs> yeah, you know the Warriors are atrocious, and the Spurs just lost seven in a row. What's happening? <sighs> Man, the Spurs are it's it's not good for the Spurs. What's wrong, what's wrong with the basketball world here? Yeah, yeah this doesn't make sense. Up is down. Suns are winning games. It's the Suns happening. are like a competent franchise right now. Yeah, it's it's. Didn't I tell you last year? Why didn't you listen to me? <laughs> All right, Don't so Joe, he, Joe, here are your rankings. If you want to know the worst defensive teams of all time, top five here. Uh, the yeah. Warriors are now the, the current this year's Warriors are actually eighth all time in, in worst defensive rating uh, okay. ever. The all time worst defensive rating team, and I don't know if we knew this. Last year's Cleveland Cavaliers at one hundred seventeen point six points per one hundred possessions. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I was actively watching them. Number two uh, all time is this year's Wizards. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah. Last year's Suns third all time. Yeah, and then you have your ninety ninety one uh, Denver Nuggets, their fourth all time, uh, and then fifth all time is the ninety two ninety three Dallas Mavericks. Oh, the okay. Four, the bad, yeah, not very good years of. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is uh, your your Derek Harper, Jim Jackson, Sean Rooks era. <laughs> I think uh, Mike Zuloni is on that team as well. The uh, NBA Mike Zuloni, yeah, yeah. He, he may have been. I don't think Rolando Blackman was there anymore because I think he was on the Knicks by then. Yes, but, yeah, he's gone but, by this time. Yeah. Those other guys may have still been on the team, yeah. Nice Rolando Blackman pull. You like yeah, that's that? good. I love that. It's a good old player. Love, love my yeah. 80s Mavs there. Um, anyway, that's that. So that was a fun little side. So, yeah, that's what's going on. Do you want anything else in the sports news you want to talk about? <laughs> no, yeah, I think we'll keep track of this. You know, every couple of weeks, I'll be like, how the Warriors doing it all the time? Now, you're using points per 100 possessions. Yeah, I'm using defensive rating. Yeah, you can use, like, yeah. points per game, but that, that doesn't account for pace. That's so right. it's like like this year is gonna like yeah I'm sure that there's a team this year or last year or whatever that's like the worst ever in terms of just like you know giving up points yeah or you have you can go back to like the 70s or whatever when people were just playing at like insane rates like you had the the 80s Nuggets uh that the Doug Mo right. Nuggets Doug that Moe. were just like yeah. fucking scoring you know 170 a game and giving up 160 but they were playing at just an ungodly pace so yeah and it's running up the court and. You know, Alex English was taking a jumper within you know four seconds of the yeah, yeah absolutely. So you have to include the pace. Yeah, yeah, you have to. There's there's no way you can't include the pace. Um, so I'm with you there. There's but, a there's a cl- I, I I I have my DVR set for all the Harvard Classics games that uh, NBA TV shows, and they uh, they occasionally show the uh, the Detroit Pistons uh, Doug Mo Denver Nuggets game, the high scoring game in NBA history. It's like you know yeah. 190 or 185 to like 174 or something like that. It is a fascinating game to watch too because nobody's taking threes either. It's right. just they're running and shooting and missing and running and shooting and missing and like mm-hmm. they're just like they're just shooting like and they're just constantly shooting and putting shots up but nobody's shooting threes nobody's playing defense it, it's it's a no. it's a fascinating game to watch in in, in hindsight and like the announcers 18, know right off the bat eighteen foot jumpers yeah and, and the announcers know yeah. too like within four minutes they're like oh boy this is gonna be a big one here because like yeah. you know Alex English hits just the first like six shots or whatever and it's like oh boy uh oh like this is yeah. gonna be. This is how this is going to go, and and yeah, it's it's a fascinating game to watch too because you assume a team scored one eighty. Well, of course they're going to be shooting threes left and right, but it's, they don't even shoot any threes. Alex English didn't take threes. He scored you know thirty five points a game and didn't take any threes. It's unbelievable. Right, so. right, and they probably left the centers on the floor because that's what you did. Back right, then. you needed a big guy. You needed a big man, even though nobody was rebounding and nobody was playing any defense. Right. But you needed a big guy. So yeah, you weren't dumping it down, but you, you got to leave that big man on the floor. Nobody thought to themselves. Well, if we're going to run up and down the floor and just take 18-foot jumpers, why don't I put five guys out there that are six foot six? Nobody thought about that. So you probably had some lumbering seven-footers uh, in that game, you know, 
dragging each other up and down the floor for no good reason. Yeah, I, think, I think Dan Issel might have still been on that team at that point too, where he was, you know, he was going to put up some shots for you anyway. So that oh, Issel, yeah, he'd shoot, yeah, you, you know, Kiki Vandeweghe too. He, he never met a shot he didn't like either. Oh, Kiki so. Vandeweghe, yeah. I mean, that was he was one of the early three point contest participants. Yeah, back right, in right. Days. So uh, even though he was a big guy, you know, the an original stretch four, Kiki Vandeweghe. Like before it. that thing, before that was even a thing. All right. Well, this episode of the uh, Over and Back Classic NBA podcast. Thanks, Joe, for filling in. I like this. You want to you want to come in on the Over and Back one of these? I days? can do it. Let's I can do it. Do it. Yeah, I, can, I, like I can do that better than I can do like a modern NBA. podcast. Yeah, I like this. We'll do uh, we'll do a Let's Remember Some Guys uh, where you come in on, on the Over and Back uh, Classic NBA. Only podcast, only if days. we can talk UV. Only if we can talk UV Blob. Oh well, oh absolutely. We we never miss an opportunity to talk. Uh, Mike Smrek is another one that we talk about all the time too. Do you remember him? Mike Smrek, absolutely. Yeah, we yeah. always we, we we always hone in on like just like bad, like horrendous, like tall white dudes that were just on rosters because you needed to have a tall white guy in your roster for 19, a long time in the NBA. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. nineteen minute per game, seven foot two white guy who averaged zero point eight points right. per game. Who fucking stunk. It was not good, but you had to have him. You just had to have. Your Bill Weddingtons, your Will Perdues, your Uwe Blobs, your your, your Blah, Mike yeah. Schmecks, your Greg Ostertags, yeah. your you know, yeah, had to have them. You your know, Rasho Nesterovichs, you just had to have them. <laughs> and the ones in the '80s were seven foot two and two hundred and ten pounds. They they had no physiques to speak of. They weren't powerful. They did nothing well. Right, your Tom Borwinkles, your <laughs> yeah, you know, because they all thought they were getting the next Mark Eaton, you know. You know, Mark Eaton at least blocked some shots. No, Mark Eaton was a beast. That was fucking tremendous Eaton, defensive yeah. player. Yeah, you know, and he didn't need to score on that team. You know, he didn't need that out of him. So you draft these seven foot two white dudes, th- hoping you'd get the next Mark Eaton, but you didn't. You got the next Mike Smrek. You got UV <laughs> Blob, and they were completely useless. Chris Dudley, you know, bring nothing Chris to the Dudley table. He spent twenty years in the league and scored, I think, thirty points total. <laughs> like he's just fucking terrible. I did absolutely nothing. He just was completely useless. Just got Shaq's nuts thrown in his face. That's about all he ever did. <laughs> I mean, seriously, he never. You know, it's it's he backed up. Um, oh, who was the uh, center draft? The center Portland drafted ahead of Jordan, who ended up on the Nets. Uh, Sam Bowie. Uh, Sam Bowie. Yeah, he backed up Chris Dudley. Backed up Sam Bowie for like eight years, and and. Did absolutely nothing well, and I think he shot like thirty percent from the free throw line. So he played. This is incredible. I love this. This is the greatest segment that we've ever done. So we played eight hundred and eighty-six games. Which, by the way, this is an upcoming show on the Over and Back Pocket. We're actually doing research for it now. Guys with the longest careers who were terrible, like just bad players who had long careers. Uh, Chris Dudley is one that we've brought up here. Eight hundred and eighty-six career NBA games. He averaged three point nine points per game. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, he played, and he played real minutes a lot right, of those years. Yeah, he played 18.4 minutes per game. So exactly yeah. like you said, 18 minutes a game. He shot 41% yeah. from the field. This man is 7'2". <laughs> like, yeah. He's, he's at the basket. <laughs> he's 7'2 and never left the paint. Like, you, you, you've got to remember, this is late 80s basketball. He never left the paint. He's shooting he 40%. He's shooting 40%, even though he's two inches from the yeah. rim. He wasn't. He wasn't even setting picks at the top of the key. This man was planting himself under the basket. And he shot forty-one percent for his career. I bet you he never took a jump shot. Yeah, they don't. Unfortunately, they don't have that. The long-term numbers there, but uh... yeah, I guarantee you, there were years he took zero jump shots. I watched the guy play. I would go to Nets games when I was a kid. He was horrendous. <laughs> and then, and then Sam Bowie left, and they brought in Benoit Benjamin, 
And then he backed up Benoit Benjamin for a little while, I think. <laughs> Who also stunk, by the way, Benoit Benjamin. But he didn't stink on this level. But, I, yeah. I, do, I do like a little Benoit Benjamin. Yeah, that was uh, – and, and you know who? Chris Dudley played with Jack Haley for a few years. He did, too. yes. Jack Haley I, got a, a, a Bulls gig just because he Dennis Rodman needed a babysitter. <laughs> so they, they yes. Jack Haley come. Yeah. So Dennis Rodman and Jack Haley had the same taste in music. So they brought in Jack Haley just to hang out with Dennis Rodman and get him to the hotel at least by like 4 a.m. Instead <laughs> of – Yeah. He didn't even play, right? Isn't there a year he didn't even play? Yeah, he played like minute? three games and got a ring. It, it's it's pretty awesome. So yeah, just to hang out with with Dennis Rodman. He's another one who was fucking horrendous. So as Jack. we as we talk about horrendous, bad, tall white guys, potentially on the Nets in the mid uh, the early nineties. Uh, do you yeah. remember Dwayne Schitznitz or whatever the fuck it was? Or what Dwayne Schitznitz. <laughs> Dwayne Schitznitz. Yeah, he came from the the Sixers, and he had that flat top haircut, and he he played <laughs> and he he played college ball, I believe, in Florida. Florida. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. He did. Yeah, I remember him in college too, Dwayne Chinsis. Okay, and it's like, it, and he, yeah, and he came to the Nets with a lot of fanfare, and it's like, you know, I remember even as like a twelve-year-old kid being like, "What? This <laughs> guy's not going to do shit." It's Dwayne Chinsis. I think he had a pretty decent contract too. Now he didn't have that John Concac contract. No, no, that's an all-timer there. Yeah, Concac to contract. He's another seven-foot white guy who was horrendous, but he had, you know, Hawks for whatever reason, you know, gave him that. At the time, what was a huge deal? I think he got like a six-year, five million dollar contract, which at the time was like, you know, bank breaking. And people were like, "Why? He's another guy who averaged like six points per game. So what are you doing? And you already have Kevin Willis on the team. You don't even need him. What was his per? What was his I function? That's like the Sonics still losing Sean Kemp because they had to give Jim McElwain like <laughs> five years. He's another one, whatever. Jim McElwain. Yeah, where Jim Kemp's McElwain. like, "Hey, can I get paid?" They're like, "There's just no money, pal. Sorry, there's just no money here." <laughs> He's like, "You yeah. just gave Jim McElwain like a forty million dollar contract." I'm like, well, yeah, we did. So <laughs> it's 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 incredible. They would just pay for height in those days. Yeah, that's over now. So all right, that was Taco awesome. Ball. Taco Fall wishes he played about 20 <laughs> I know, years. I know, Taco Fall. Bull Bull is playing for the Windy City Bulls, and if you don't think I'm going to waddle my ass over to the Sears Center where AW Dynamite's going to take place next week, that's where the Windy City Bulls play, and Bull Bull is a bull, and I, I'm there. I cannot wait. So. <laughs> Bull, Bull Bull has some skills, though. I know, shoot. I can't wait to watch it. I'm going to go. I got to go. I already have my friends ready. We're, we're all set to go. We have a few dates that we're going to try to make it out there. It's not far from my house. It's nice and close. The tickets are like five bucks, and we get to see... Uh, a future NBA legend, and in, 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 you know, before he makes it big. So, let me drop one more. Joe Klein. Oh God, <laughs> Joe Klein. <laughs> they just have the best names too. Right? Yeah, like, just, like they all just sound like your uncles, or like you know, yes. like yeah, your 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 second cousin who played, you know, or yeah, your uncle who played high school basketball was named Joe Klein. You're like, oh yeah, Uncle Joe. <laughs> yeah, oh Joe. Yeah, he played ball. He was a you know all 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 states in you know 1964. And the, you know, you go to his house and there's a little plaque that says you know congratulations, Joe Klein. Yeah, all state average, selection, 1967 or something. So. Yeah, average 17 points per game in high school. You know, it's like they don't even have cool names. These guys: Joe Klein, Dwayne Shinsis, Chris Dudley. And these aren't even cool names. Mike Schmidt's a pretty cool name, though. And Mike Blave is is a good, good one as well. But... Oh, this is incredible. Thank you. Well, over and back classic NBA podcast as well. If you want to at over and back NBA, over and back NBA We're gonna get Joe on there sometime and. And join us for a Remember Old Bad White Guys episode. So. Absolutely. I can't wait. That sounds incredible. So, yeah, that was that. That's the Voice Wrestling flagship with a bonus over and back uh, NBA podcast at the end. I so. feel like there should have been a white NBA center named McClunky. 
it fits. McClunky. I don't McClunk. know if they're. I think they're right about. Hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it fits. I feel like they're been. McClunky. Yeah, that that's. There was a lot of mix, but that was kind of in the '60s. The the mix kind of ended. Yeah. Uh, there for a while. Eddie yeah, Irish moved on. <laughs> Unfortunately, the game the game passed on the. Uh, Fortunately, the, the Irish. <laughs> the Irish. <laughs> uh, we had Jim McMillan, but he was in the 70s. Dick McGuire, it's in the 60s as I, well. I feel like there should have been a center at some point in the NBA named Bill McClunky. Just, <laughs> just terrible. You know, just, just totally useless. A bad mustache. Awful haircut. There was a Billy McKinney, but I forget what his deal was. Uh, he was six foot. He was the hummingbird. No. Oh, no. I'm, I know that Billy McKinney. Not Billy McKinney's cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. NBA players named McClunky, huh? No, I'm not finding any right, right now. So you, you're right, though. That does sound like a good. Like... If I told you there was a guy, you know, named Bill McClunky who played, you know, three years on the Rockets backing up Hakeem Olajuwon. <laughs> 100% of, of leave you. Yeah, you would have believed me. Yeah, you would have just went with it. You would have went with it. Oh, God. This is incredible. Great stuff here. Anyway, that's it for Joe, and that's it for me. We'll talk to you guys next time on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.